It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. And today, well, I understand the small Eastern promotion from the United States of America held a card in Los Angeles called WrestleMania something or other. Uh, but we don't want to talk about that, obviously. There are other shows which are far more interesting to Troopity Show listeners and to us. Um, in fact, we're going to look at three shows today. Later on the show, we're going to talk to Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about Wrestle Multiverse Impact thing with New Japan, Strong Will Survive, which is the, really the longest title of any show I've ever come across, ever, which is unusual, even by Impact standards. And Ring of Honor Supercard. 2023, Supercard of Honor, I should say, uh, 2023. But first of all, we are going to look at a GCW show, as, as is our want, as we usually do at least one GCW show every um, WrestleFestivus weekend. And we're going to look at Big Gay Brunch, and to join me to discuss this epic occasion is not only Miss Chelsea Spollen, but also was Anna as well. So let's start with Chelsea. How are you, Mom? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day here. That's cool. It's been quite nice. It was nicer here yesterday than it was today. It was a bit dull and overcast here today. Um, but Anna, how are you doing? Also good. And it's also bright and sunny here. Sorry, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what we have to put up with. Is what a surprise. The weather's worse in England. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's spring. It's it's springing. It's not doing too badly. At least it's no longer icy. Uh, though I did have to defrost the car at least once this week, so that, that wasn't good. But generally speaking, it's been quite nice. Um, so Ooh. we are going to look at Effie's Big Gay Brunch. It came from the Ukrainian's Cultural Center in Los Angeles, California. Um, it was commentated on by Val Capone and Vader Scott, who may be my favorite commentary team of the weekend. Possibly. Um, although all commentary teams were good on these shows, which was quite nice for a change. Um, and it's the sixth big gay brunch. Um, Chelsea, you've been with us for quite a bit of the gig, big gay, gig bay brunch, the big gay brunch <laughs> franchise. <laughs> um, how do you feel the, the whole thing's going? So, I think... I've watched the first one, the third one, and this one, and I've watched some selected matches from the others. Um, I think that at this point, this is the sixth one, and they have done enough of them that they don't have that, like, super excited, oh, my God, we've never seen this before. But you also get the luxury of, like, people are approaching the show with, you know, sort of knowing what they're going to get. And so there are positive reactions from the audience, kind of the way you get from, like, a, like a hometown crowd, even if the wrestlers aren't exactly the same as the wrestlers on other cards. Does that make sense? Like, it's familiar in a comforting way. And that's kind of nice, actually. I liked the vibe. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it gives them an opportunity to tell more story because... You're not having to set expectations mm -hmm. all the time. And certainly the main event revolved around much more story than we've been used to on these events. Because these events have tended to be, hey, supercars kind of matches. I think the, the one where we had, um, uh, I 
can't remember now. It's gone up from the top of my head. Where you had a lot of dream matches, Exotico dream matches, for instance, which are kind of like a way uh, a way of helping the the, the card grow and, and getting attention on it. And a lot of when they had a fairly close relationship with AEW, you got like extra special guests in. So I think that was really important. And I think yeah, this this seems more grounded. Is that a good way of putting yeah. it? Yeah. Um, which is a nice because so often queer art doesn't get the luxury of being grounded. So often it's like, we squeeze through a crack, here we are, we have to get everything in in 20 minutes. And this is chill and relaxed because everybody knows, I mean, hopefully it's not going to be the last big gay brunch, and um, it's, a, it's a better vibe, it's a better feeling. Anna, what's your thoughts on the franchise as a whole, how it fits into the GCW universe? Like, Effie has been part of GCW as a mainstay for quite a while now, so it makes sense that he has his own show and has had his own show for so long. I mean, the first one of the first uh, Effie GCW matches that I really remember was, of course, when he went up against Nick Gage for the GCW title. So they've clearly, like, seen his importance as a queer wrestler, especially like in a company like GCW where, I mean, it's pretty hyper-macho, hyper-masculine. They don't really book a lot of women. So like seeing Effie be able to book this this show um, and have have all of these queer and uh, femme talents on the show uh, is a great way to have GCW show off talent that they might not necessarily show off on their regular shows because they're so used to having like they're they're 10 guys that they have on each show uh, yeah and i think you're right and i'm wondering as well of course the current gcw world champion is masha slamovich she beat nick gage for the title and i'm wondering if shows like big gay brunch have kind of opened the mind of the GCW fans to allow someone like Masha to be the champion. I know it's been a mixed agenda company for quite some time, but there's a big gap between having a mixed gender company and having Masha Slamovich as be your heavyweight champion and represent the company and represent the brand. Um, right then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's look at the matches. Matt's first match opened with AC Mack, defeating Honest John, Jay Vidal, and Rich Coy. Eight minutes and 44 seconds in the kind of... I hate to say this kind of standard opener for North American shows of let's just throw a bunch of really athletic guys in there, but that's necessarily a bad thing sometimes, and I thought this was a pretty good thing, even though everyone knows I hate multi-person matches with a passion. Having said that, it's kind of what he expected, and it did what it said on the tin, and I thoroughly enjoyed the people who were involved. Anna, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I felt the exact same way. It was a perfect opener for having everyone just get their get their stuff out and get everyone fired up at the beginning of the show. Uh, get the mimosas flowing, get everyone fired up right at the beginning. Uh, so there was a really awesome uh, hanging elbow drop from Jay Vidal uh, that popped me pretty hard. And uh, I actually had friends over for this show, and uh, there was a girl there that uh, she has never watched wrestling in her life. And so this was her first time experiencing professional wrestling, and it was uh, quite awesome to see her reactions 
to like some of these big moves that I'm so used to seeing, especially in a scramble like this that opens up a show. It was interesting to see the different reactions between like me and, and my friend. That's really cool. Glad we brought someone new to our family. Chelsea, what did you think of this opening? I enjoyed this. Um, I thought it was really fun. I think David Dahl was the only... Uh, JV Doll and AC Mack were the only wrestlers in this that I was familiar with. And I think May came across as the biggest stars in the match. Um, I think you're right, it was kind of a standard like North American wrestling opener, but I don't think it uh I don't think it was bad. I don't think it burned out the crowd. Um I think it got everybody hype. And I think I think it was kind of nice that they had a mix of experience levels in the match. Because I think one of the benefits of a show like this and a low-stakes match like that is that you can get people who don't necessarily make those big cards in there with people who have more experience than they um, So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good opener. I agree with you. Um, it's interesting because it's like... Um, the, the, the multiverse match... <laughs> Pull the screen back. I actually recorded the second half of the show with Marcus before I recorded the show with Anna and with Chelsea. Um, and we were talking about the multiverse impact show, which is something Impact's always done, even back in the TNA days, of bringing together people from different backgrounds and different companies to present the show. And this feels very much like that for LGBTQI wrestlers in the sense of it's kind of a nodal point where things can come together and it's those kind of things that happen because that's where people get their experience from. That's how they get better, because they experience from people who are at a higher level than, than what they're at, and that's how people grow. Yeah. I, I hopefully, hopefully it means that Effie will have like a steady stream of people to book on these shows, even as the more experienced guys like get signed, move on to other stuff. There'll still be a crew of people who are familiar, like, you know, cycling through. True, I mean, Jay Vidal has signed for Impact Wrestling, so, you know, this is this was a good, guy, a good guy to put on this show to, you know, hey, it can be done. This is how you go about it, and this is how you get better. Our second match was Keita Murray versus Devin Moore. Nine minutes and 54 seconds. This was a bit more of a straight-up technical wrestling match, and it's kind of a style makes fight. The styles makes fights thing, so I'm going to talk to Chelsea about that because it's one of her favourite phrases. <laughs> So this might be my favorite match on the card. Um, and I think it's because I love Devin Minwood. Um, I love the way he moves. He is so charismatic. He moves like a dancer. He totally has like supreme effortless confidence about everything he's doing. And considering how flamboyant his wrestling character is, it's really nice to see him in an environment where that's like appreciated. Um, I really enjoyed seeing Keita Murray, who I, I don't think I've seen him before. I'm not super familiar with him if I have. Um, he did a good job playing like the angry super macho heel. And I kind of thought that was a smart choice of like leaning into some of the more like traditionally masculine elements of his character and maybe that's just how he muscles normally i'm not sure but i felt like he played some of that stuff up in his body language and i think that helped bring out devin monroe's 
uh, flamboyant black sexalins, as he calls himself. Um, I I just I really enjoyed everything they did. The satellite DBT was freaking awesome. The twisting suplex. I don't know that I've ever seen outside of Joshi. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do a full twist into a suplex before. That was freaking sweet. Um, and I, you know, you could tell those guys respected each other and liked each other. And that was also nice. Like, I don't know. I think there, I think there, it's a tough line to walk. And you've seen that in some of the previous Effie Dick Gabriel shows where you have the super masculine heel beating up the guy who is more like flamboyantly gay. And that can be a little uncomfortable, but this was balanced perfectly like it wasn't too much but it was enough to tell the story and get the crowd really invested in the normal thing which was awesome yeah i agree with that it's it it was a really nicely well done well put together match in kind of kind of things wwe do to a new audience like let's have a match that just explains how wrestling works and this kind of did that really you know it didn't have to be massively complicated it got everybody over and told a nice story anna what did you think of this one yeah, I agree with Chelsea. Like the story here was great with like the hyper macho heel and the more flamboyant uh, baby face. Um, watching how Devon Monroe has grown over the years has been incredible. I saw him on the like, original Twink Gauntlet, which was the pre Brigade pre Brigade uh, Brunch, <laughs> so pre Big Gay Brunch. Um, this. Uh, I think it was Time Bomb Pro up in North Dakota. Um, but yeah, so to see how much he's improved over the years, um, because they were quite new at the beginning whenever I saw them. And uh, yeah, just the story of Keita working the knee was my favorite part of the whole match. Um, and you know, it was exciting because the commentator broke her fan. <laughs> I felt bad for her. <laughs> Sorry, Chelsea? Oh, I said that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it kind of reminds me of kind of an old school Arn Anderson match in the sense of you've got somebody, a stoic heel who's not really, you know, vicious, just trying to work away through a body part despite what the opponent is doing. And I, yeah, this was good. It was a good entertaining wrestling match. And like we said, you're trying to get people over and showcase them. Next up, we had Steph Delander, who is Queen Heel. Uh, in GCW at the moment, she's um, um, teaming up with um, Chelsea Green's husband, whose name's completely forgotten. <laughs> Matt. Zach Ryder in WWE, Matt Cardona. Matt Cardona, there we go, yeah. Matt Cardona, who's tagging up with Matt Cardona because obviously Chelsea Green has um, left to go to WWE. Uh, it's just, he's just Chelsea uh, Green's husband. That's what we all yes, have for, right? Yes, that's, that's, that's what we're going to have now. <laughs> Chelsea Green's husband, Matt Cardona. Um, yeah, Steph Delander is taking over from Chelsea's spot of being annoying. Um, and here she was wrestling Sandra Moan. Nine minutes and 46 seconds. I like both of them. And Steph Delander coming across, pretty obvious she was going to win because, you know, you can't have your top heater lose. <laughs> it doesn't work. So, yeah, I like this. And it, it, it was very... It did what it said on the tin. It established Delander as a big bad heel, and that's what you need in this particular case. Um, so, Anna, what did you think of this? Well, yeah, 
I, first starting with looks, uh, the Lum gear, I loved that from Steph Delander. Uh, that popped me at first uh, when we watched it originally at my little brunch party. Um, but Sandra Moon is somebody who I really look forward to seeing grow over the next couple of years. I just think she's so stinking cute. I think she's already so good at wrestling and just the, the career charisma that she has and just the big I love a good baby face I just like feeling like all happy and, and like goofy whenever I see like a baby face at a wrestling show I love that feeling so like in Sandra Moon she definitely brings out that just like oh like I just want to root for you kind of feeling that I get so uh seeing her unfortunately get beaten down by big bad big bad Steph Delander uh it it went the way that it needed to go but I really really look forward to seeing uh, where Sandra goes over the next few years yes I completely agree Chelsea what do you think of this one I totally agree with Anna. Um, I really liked uh, Sandra Moon, and this was my first exposure to her. I hadn't seen her before, but um, I thought she came across as a very likable baby face, and I totally agree with Anna that she has tons of obvious potential. Um, I just looked her up, actually, while we're recording this, and I didn't realize that she had only been wrestling about five or six years, so I think that's pretty impressive where she's at skill-wise. Um, Steph Delander is awesome. I always, I always enjoy her. Uh, I loved her gear. I love her presence. I love that she is just totally leaning into being the big bad, bossy heel who will toss you around the head. She's, she's great. Um, and I think that it'd be interesting if we get a rehash of this match in a couple of years to see where things are at once Sandra's had more experience and can lean into the babyface thing, but also be more confident in her ability. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Sandra, like we say, for five years, she's already wrestled for Impact and for AEW and for Ring of Honor, so she's doing very well. Um, but you're right, Steph Delander has that presence. She is just the right person to replace Chelsea Green as far as GCW fans are concerned because she's like, you know, she's mm. she's a different type of a character. She's not uh, Green's appeal as a heel was the fact that she was annoying and she thought you were better than everybody else whereas Delanda mm. can think she's better than everybody else because she probably is. <laughs> which, which just backs up yeah. and takes things up to another level. She reminded me a little bit of seeing some of the evil characters on the original Glow series. Like, I, I kind of felt a little of that influence in there, and it works for her. Yeah, a big, a big cartoon banner. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what she is, and that's, that's exactly what GCW fans will appreciate, I think, as well. Oh, let's just move on then to the next match. New Japan Strong's former champion Fred Rosser defeats Kram in 9 minutes and 50 seconds in a big lads wrestling match, is the best way to describe this. This would not go amiss on New Japan Pro or Ring of Honor or any form of strong style wrestling match company you can think of. Like, no, this went down like a storm. And, you know, Fred Rosser, pioneer of LGBTQI community in professional wrestling, getting his... Um, Props and due in this particular match, and Karam as well, who I was really impressed with. He really could go. 
and I've not seen him wrestle before. Um, I know he's quite experienced. How long has he been in the business? Uh, Courage match says about the same year as Sandra Moon, actually. She's 2017, but he's got a real presence about him. He's got a real kind of a thing I want to find out more about, and that's what kind of what makes a great wrestler. He's kind of an old school heel working this. This is kind of a working heels match. Um, and they did kind of break character at the end of the match, <laughs> which was fine because in the context of this show, that can work. But this was fun. I enjoyed it, and it was a good wrestling match. Fred Ross takes the win. Chelsea, what's your thoughts on these two? I really enjoyed this. Um, I also had not seen him before, and I was very impressed. Um, Fred Rosser is someone who I was rooting to have success when he was in WWE. And I just never felt like they properly gave him the right opportunity. And I also think, unfortunately, like whenever you get a mid-card guy who this wasn't super hot on, where he was trying to like put them in a position to be on the mid-card and never go any further than that, you can take for granted how good that person actually is, especially when they're surrounded by other wrestlers who are part of this very polished TV product. And something I like about seeing him on the indies is you look at that guy and it's obvious. If you didn't know who the TV star in this match was, you would know just looking at him. And not just because of the eight-pack abs, right? Like, sorry, did I lose you guys for a second there? My, no, you're okay. My oh, okay, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, so you would know that he's the TV star in this match. Uh, he has the, like, the presence, the effortlessness. He's so fast. He's so strong. And I appreciate him more in a context like this than I think I did when I was seeing him on television, you know, with all the glossy glamour of the WWE product. Um, Karam looked totally like a like an up-and-coming star in this match and it was i got super emotional at the end when they were talking to each other on the mic when he said that this match was the first time he ever felt like he was really able to be himself in a wrestling match um that was that was uh you know he didn't he didn't expand entirely on what he meant by that but i think that's really beautiful um, and I think if that's part of Fred Rosser's legacy and part of Effie's legacy is making spots for other people to do that, um, that's something really beautiful. And I was I was happy to see it. So um, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a good match. I thought maybe it was like a little bit long because it seemed like the crowd was getting a little tired for the second half. But the ending where they afterwards where they were speaking to each other, the crowd was so emotional and so invested in it that it sort of made up for it. So I think it was successful. Yes, definitely. Anna, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I definitely agree with Chelsea. Like, um, of course, I mean, you... Oh, excuse me, just one moment. Didn't want to talk in your ear. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree with Chelsea where it was emotional, especially with the, um, the post-match speech. I... I love a good big boys match. And uh, yeah, no, you can tell that Fred Rosser, of course, was the more experienced guy in the match and, and all that stuff. But uh, it really felt like he was kind of ho not holding Karam's hand in a bad way, but holding his hand in a like, I'm here 
to like be your support system if this is the place that where you feel comfortable kind of thing. Mm. And that's what really uh, felt special in the match to me. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of one of those dream matches that you kind of get on these cards that isn't really a dream match until you think about it. <laughs> if you see what I mean, it was like this was the ideal and now it is if they ever do Yeah, it was the ideal match to have in the middle of this card, but if you look at this card as a piece of paper before the show happened, you'd go, why those two guys? And now you know why. And mm. it's, it's intriguing. I'm intrigued though, Chelsea, was this match better than the one that Fred Rossa had with Kenta in San Jose? I thought so. Yeah, that's, I that's thought what so. I was thinking as well. so much more organically. So much more chemistry and so much more organic. And Maybe it's, maybe it's just the vibe that those two guys have together. I don't know. Or maybe it was the setting. But yeah, I really, I, I thought this was much better. I thought this was even more uh, engaging than some of the stuff that Fred Rosser's been doing in um, uh, my right, right, right. New Japan Strong. New Japan Strong. Like the, yeah, exactly. I, I thought this was, this was one of the best things I've seen from him since he left up. I'm wondering now. Um, so yeah, I... We see I'm, I'm having like a production massing in my head because obviously Kenta wrestled Minoru Suzuki for the Strong Heavyweight Championship on the Multiverse show and neither of them wrestled to the hard count which made it because of the way Impact's producers work not unwatchable but really hard to follow because the way the the way the the um, Impact show was set up. They're wrestling in the same place. It was the PWG um, arena where the the, the Rose Circa, uh, the Rose Theatre. So they're wrestling there, but the hard cams facing the audience. So obviously they're going to wrestle to the audience because that's what Japanese wrestlers do. <laughs> and I'm wondering if uh, Fred Ross's issue is the New Japan Strong guys shoot the matches like a Japanese show, uh, which they do. And I'm, and I'm wondering if it's just he's looking better in this show just because GCW shows shoot shows like a North American company. Does that make sense? I thought of that. Yeah. 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 Just wondering. It's a possibility, I suppose. Does New Japan do a hard cam or do they just have somebody like walking around with a camera? In the New Japan Strong shows? Um, they have a hard cam, and they do. They have they have a hard cam, and they have two free roaming cameras. But it seems to me like it's shot a lot more like a New Japan show than a, say, an Impact show or a Ring of Honor show, or an AEW show, yeah. because all of their producers were trained in WWE. <laughs> you know, and there's a way of doing things in WWE. So obviously that mm -hmm. has an influence on when they leave that company and find work somewhere else. It's it tends to be. I never thought about that yeah, before. Yeah, it tends to be an influence, you know. Um, well, yeah, it, it, those are arguments for the fact that Vince just ruined wrestling for everybody. <laughs> but I think I think that has a lot to do. And there's reasons for it. It makes good, clean production. It's easy to shoot shows and stuff. But it is. I think there's. I think there's a clash of visual presentation when you have people that are that are not set in one way or another. But anywho. That's a little aside for later. Uh, let's just move on to the next match. This was definitely a dream match. Sawyer Wreck versus Kid Bandit. 11 minutes and 21 seconds. This was brutal. This was a proper street fight. I love Sawyer Wreck and I love Kid Bandit. Um, and watching them go together was like... 
Whoever booked this was a bit of a genius, well, I guess. It was Effie, and he did exactly what he should have done, which was book these two lunatics in a match together. Um, Chelsea, what did you think of these two? Because this was this was up the pace and got everybody back into the card again, I think. Reminded me of some of the shows that we watched from the early 90s that were in, um, I want to say, FMW, where... They let the ladies do some hardcore stuff in the middle of like a big stadium show. Um, that was kind of that was a little bit of the vibe here, and I liked it. I thought it really worked. Um, it's not my personal preference for a type of match, but I still I still got into it. I still really enjoyed it. Um, they both looked like big stars in this match. I thought commentary was especially good at putting them both over, um, even when. There were uh, moments supposed to look like evenly matched at some points before Sawyer eventually won. Um, and I thought commentary did a good job of helping sell the story without making anybody sound like they didn't belong there or didn't deserve to be there. Um, I thought the power bomb from the apron through the door was like uh, maybe not a spot that I would have picked for for that because i mean it didn't go very well uh and also it seems like a small crowd for that kind of thing but uh but other than that i i thought this was pretty successful um it's not my personal type of like favorite type of wrestling but the crowd was really into it so that means more than than my personal on the other hand i know someone who's really into this type of wrestling anna (laughs) Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I really, I apologize to uh, the friend that I had over because uh, I scoured the card and I was just like, oh, Sawyer Wreck versus Kid Bandit. Kid Bandit doesn't do that type of wrestling. Well, I haven't been following what, the, uh, what they've been doing lately because apparently she's been going nuts with the death matches. So... <laughs> But uh, no, uh, we were all having a hoot and holler in time watching this one. A lot of uh, a lot of oofs being yelled at the television, and uh, yeah, the the barbed wire keyblade I, I just think is hilarious, and I love that uh, Kid Bandit has that. And uh, yeah, with the as in regards to the power bomb to the outside, yeah, wouldn't have suggested doing that, especially not even because of the crowd of people, but maybe because like it is either a hardwood floor underground, and that's not good. <laughs> a little, a little rough, a little rough to watch. Yeah, and. <laughs> and also over doors, <laughs> like, like I can buy tables being underneath the ring, obviously, and you know there is a long history of tables in professional wrestling. But doors are only there for you to put opponents through, and it's it's getting to the level of convoluted of when BJW used to have a six man tag team that would literally lay bricks in the middle of a match in the ring so they had something to drop their opponents on <laughs> and i'd be like oh god this is taking forever I mean, they would literally build like about nine bricks long by about four bricks wide which was wide enough for a human back to be dropped on relatively painlessly because you know there was still a ring underneath and it would bounce a little bit and it was like oh good god <laughs> you know it's like 
Why, why are there doors under? There is no perceivable reason for a door to be underneath the ring. Why is there a door under the ring? Um, I think me and you, Chelsea, talked about this in the filthy Tom Lawler homicide match at San Jose. Um, it's just like, can we can we stop with the doors? I know they're cheap, <laughs> but we don't. You don't need the doors anymore. Let's move on from doors. But yeah. It also just looks like a really good way to get a splinter in a place where you do not want to have to get a splinter taken out. Yeah, and you know you can gimmick a table much better. You can you can like saw the table underneath the 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 formica topping, um, and even then you know they break particularly hard. So yeah, just just have matches that don't involve dropping anybody through anything particularly dangerous. Mm. Just a thought. <laughs> I'm not mean to be a killjoy, and I'm sure John's not happy with me for saying it, but yes, no more doors. Anywho, let us move on. Next, we had the West Coast versus East Coast to 10-person tag. Abigail Warren, Anthony Vo- Anton Voorhees, Deshade and Money Power Respect, Fabuloso, Fabuloso Fabrizio and Marco Mia with Paolo Del Mar, defeated Aaron Rourke, Ashton Starr, Becca, Dylan McQueen and Rico Gonzalez in 22 minutes and 58 seconds of uh, the first of many spot-laden 10-man tag person, multi-tag person matches of the weekend. And this was a ton of fun with spots galore, but, but a lot of it was just like spots for the sake of spots. And that's all right if that's your thing, but I tend to think like, things to be a bit more organised. Though this was kind of like pretty organised as far as I could tell. Anna, what did you think of this? Yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about matches with too many people, too too many people in them, like a ten-person tag match. Um, that that kind of took me out, but I was still uh, rooting for Team East Coast because, uh, of course, I watched Uncharted Territory whenever it was on um, the Beyond Wrestling weekly show that was on IWTV uh, for a couple of years. Um, so I'm very familiar with like Aaron Rourke and Becca and and all that. Um, but of course, the Atlanta Gays, as they were calling themselves, uh, Ashton Starr and Dylan McQueen and Rico Gonzalez. Um, I have been watching uh, Dylan McQueen since he was on AEW a couple of years ago, and he actually had some compounding injuries that took him out for a while and it really looked like he wasn't going to come back to wrestling um but he made a full recovery and it's great to see that like all of the physical therapy going from not being able to walk to being able to wrestle in a 10-person tag match and also get out of war played with you which as a person that uh, is really close with uh, physical therapists, uh, that was very, very nerve-wracking to me. (laughs) I must admit, Becca as well, judging by the number of emails MLW send me on a weekly basis, they're really high on Becca. Um, And they did present her like a star, and I'm intrigued by her character. So, and she had some fun spots in this match. But I'd kind of like to see it in an individual kind of way to assess what she's really like, because it just, just wasn't giving her an impression of her as a character, or anyone really, because it was a bunch of stuff that happened. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes a bunch of stuff is good. Um, Chelsea, what did you think of this? 
Uh, I agree with you, James, that I think I would have enjoyed this if it had been a little more organized. Um, I do think it was a fun spot fest. I agree that uh, Becca totally looked like a star, and that was awesome. Um, I love Ashton Star, and I keep waiting for somebody to, like, give that guy a big opportunity somewhere outside of the indies. And I know he's been on AEW Dark a couple of times. I think he's very charismatic. Um, I think he's got the talent. I think if he were wrestling people who are way better than him on a regular basis, he would grow to be the kind of person who would, like, say, that guy's a main eventer. Um, And that was my impression of him in this. I think he's got all the potential. I think he just needs to be in the right situation where somebody needs to put their trust in him and invest in him. Um, I enjoyed this, but it was a little hard for me to follow everything. And that might have also been because I'm not familiar with everybody in this match. And it did feel a little bit like they put this match together specifically because they wanted to make sure that everybody got on this card and got the payday. And especially in the indies, like, I appreciate that. I think more than I do in WWE, everybody gets, like, a nice big downside guarantee whether or not they're booked on WrestleMania. Um, you know, like, nobody, nobody in this match read to me like they didn't deserve to be there. I just, I think I would have enjoyed another couple of singles matches or a smaller tag match more than than this yeah i think that's i think that's cool i think you, you're right there's nothing wrong with what this did it was fine for what it was but i think it could have been more enjoyable if you had more time i mean it's toes this show clocked in at about two and a half hours and when you consider the amount of shows gcw did in this weekend and were trying to do and the amount of corralling that they would have had to have done to get all of these shows in yeah, that's fair enough, and you still got a bunch of other stuff, and a lot of these guys were working for other companies and doing other shows as well, so, you know, it's it's difficult sometimes just to kind of, like, get people available for the spot they're in. We were talking about the fact that Jeff Cobb had flown from Atlanta to wrestle Kenny Omega one night, and the next day he's wrestling Moose, <laughs> and then probably has to do a show, another, another wow. show somewhere else as well before the weekend's over. You know, and it's like, and that was pretty standard for a lot of the bigger names on these shows, you know. We were talking, like, last year about the fact that, like, Mike Bailey wrestled, oh, it was, it might have been, no, Christian Blake wrestled on, I think this time last year, me and John reviewed three shows or four shows, and Christian Blake was on three of them. (laughs) You know, so, yeah, and the Briscoes were on two, and, you know, it's, it's, so, these weekends are great for wrestling fans and brilliant for exposure for wrestlers and for just paydays for wrestlers but doesn't make them easy on them and you know um, sometimes it doesn't work out for the quality of the matches and that's not a reflection on any of the cards we've seen actually this weekend everything we've watched, everything that the three of us have watched was pretty high quality so that's really cool let us move on to the semi-main event. The non-binary nightmare, Max the Impaler, fresh off her run uh, as the tag team champions in TJPW, along with her new manager, Amy Rose, went up against Vipress. Nine minutes and 12 seconds of a really cool wrestling match because Vipress, I've not seen her wrestle before. I followed her on Twitter for quite some time and just not had a chance to catch up with her matches, but she always intrigues me as a character and as a wrestler. And Max the Impaler's awesome. And I love them to bits, and I think they're great. And watching them in a singles context with someone of equal stature, for a change, because normally they are up against people that 
they get to throw about a lot. This was really cool. So I was really impressed with this one. Uh, Chelsea, what did you think of this? I had no idea what to expect because I had, uh, when I saw that this was like what was coming next on the card, um, because I'd seen Maxine and Taylor a couple of times and I liked them, but I wasn't sure how it would look to see them wrestle Vipers because I've only seen Vipers wrestle maybe like once or twice and it was much earlier in, uh, in her career. So, um, I was impressed. I uh, I enjoyed this. I thought it was a good Haas fight. I do think it was a little too long. I think the whole like size disparity thing is a good concept, but I think you need some unexpected stuff in there to keep it going. And I think there was there was just a little something missing. And maybe that's because this was coming second to last on the card, like. I almost felt like maybe there was a higher gear they could have kicked into that they didn't. And, you know, that might've been intentional, but, um, but yeah, I, I thought, I thought it was good. And also I am always a fan of there being more kissing in wrestling. <laughs> Fair enough. I can understand that. Anna, what did you think of this one? I also agree that there should be more kissing and wrestling. I made a note about that. <laughs> well, obviously, there should be. I uh, I love a good like Beauty and the Beast matchup. That is something not, not only just with um, Max and Amy Rose, but with um, Max fighting Vipress. Like that is a story that I really enjoy in wrestling as well. Well, not just the size disparity, but also the just like there was a Beauty and the Beast match that I really liked um, years ago in Stardom. It was Chris Wolf and Scarlett Bordeaux, <laughs> and again it had the same kind of dynamic with the the feralness of of Chris Wolf trying being confused and seduced by by Scarlett Bordeaux. Like that is. A, a trope that I really enjoy in in these types of kind of uh, not supernatural characters, but beastly characters. I I like that kind of trope in 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 more unserious matches. But this was definitely not an unserious match because uh, Viperus really really took it to Max. I thought she did fantastic. Yeah, definitely. This this is great. Also, Chris Wolf, one of the best interviews I ever had. She is a wonderful human being. I hope she's having a lovely life with her, with her wife in Scandinavia. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I miss her. I wish she would unretire, but I know she had injury issues, so I don't expect her no, to do that. I think she's happy being Chris Wolf, not being Chris Wolf, Wolf, if you see what I mean. Just being Chris Wolf. Because <laughs> mm. she wasn't, she was a photographer that just happened to fall into a wrestling dojo of all the looking for some new career. Hey, let's be a Joshi, because that's not the easiest career path to take. Um, but yeah, yeah, and but you're right. I think this was, this was, this was just cool. This was a match that kind of like, I think it was always saying about the show being grounded. It's starting to fall into regular wrestling tropes because there are enough wrestlers to do that with. They found enough talented wrestlers to be able to lead into traditional wrestling, like a Beauty and the Beast match, like a, a hardcore match, like Sawyer Wreck and Kid Bandit, you know, or like a straight up wrestling match, like Fred Rosser and Karam, 
They can't. They can do the things a regular wrestling company can do because they have enough experienced talent to be able to get down to that nuts and bolts of how a wrestling match is supposed to work and you know lean into tropes, which is going to make the show more successful because it kind of there's a reason why those tropes exist. Those tropes relate to professional wrestling fans, and that that works really well. And I think that's one of the things that this show had. Like, you, like Chelsea said at the beginning of the show, it's not the, you know, hey, wow, this is the cool new thing. It's now we're establishing ourselves as a brand and we can do the other things the, company, the other companies do because we have the talent roster to be able to do that with. Which, when we first started watching this three or four years ago, they didn't necessarily have that option. And now they do, which is really, really cool. Arguably, you could say, well, it's boring then because everybody else does it. But equally, those tropes work and have worked for decades because that's how companies get big. <laughs> so, in my opinion, anyway. Shall we move on to the main event? Ah, the main event featured Thrussy, Ali Cash, Dark Sheik and Effie going up against Mason's Mercenary, Billy Dixon, Charles Mason and Paro. Now, Charles Mason had uh, in captured Billy Dixon, um, local hero of GCW for a very long time, uh, into his evil ways by withholding money um, from Dixon to pay for his ill mother's healthcare, which is the storyline they were going with. And that's what partly made this show much more watchable, is because you've got story being built on top of those tropes for me. Um, so this was a big blow-off revenge main event. It doesn't get much better than this in wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. Anna, what did you think of this? Yeah, no, I loved the story of Bill having to... Bill has been involved with some interesting stories in the... Not only does he have to fight for his mother's health care now, he had to fight for his uh, gayness years prior. Billy just can't catch a break at these brunch shows, I'm telling you. But I loved the story of uh, Charles Mason having his mercenaries, especially because Pero has a history with Effie as well. Um... Pero actually beat Effie in the last Daddy Standing match at No Peace Underground years prior. So they have that history as well as uh, Pero uh, inserting himself into the Twink Gauntlet and things like that. Uh, for those unfamiliar with Pero and unfamiliar with gay culture, uh, he's very big and not very small. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, no, I loved the story, not only just with Billy, but just between Paro and Effie, and also Paro and Dark Sheik, of course, they, they have the runnings in and Hood Slam and stuff. And there's also uh, bad blood between Ali Catch and, and Charles Mason. A couple weeks ago before this event, they had a cage match at, um, I don't remember if it was a GCW show or a JCW show, but uh, they had a cage match and it was pretty brutal. So just the culmination of, of all of these different stories coming together for um, this big main event of Big Gay Brunch. And of course, you have to kick the ass of the guy that says you only sold out because you were booked a straight man. It's just only appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, that's the story is it reminds me an awful lot of these big indie shows and like you build towards the big blow-off main event and they've done this perfectly here and it, it works really, really well and yeah, I just thoroughly enjoyed this match because it had a traditional wrestling trope to it which 
enabled more storytelling, which I think is going to make the company better in the long run. What did you think of this, Chelsea? So I didn't have all of that background going into this, but I still really enjoyed it. Um, I think Effie has finally gotten to a point where his gimmick isn't just, I'm the gay wrestler. And unfortunately, I did feel that way about him for a long time, and I was kind of hesitant to say it because I didn't want to knock him for that because I think what he was doing when he first started doing GCW was so ambitious. And, I mean, when I first started watching wrestling, I couldn't have imagined anything like the big Abram chase. Um, I think he's gotten to the point where he really does look like a star and not just because of the gimmick. Um, that was enjoyable. I, uh, I missed Billy Dixon when he had his, like, foray into retirement, so I'm glad he's back. Um, I haven't seen a ton of the stuff that he did since he came back, but, uh, I missed that guy. He's really charismatic. He is really, he's always down for whatever weird spots people want to do where they beat the crap out of them. <laughs> and I respect that about him because, uh, he doesn't have the same physicality and the same athleticism as some of the other people in this match, but he still makes it work for him. Um, and that's impressive. Um, I love Dark Sheik. I could watch Dark Sheik read the whole book. Um, she is so charismatic. Um, I loved the spot with the, um, what is it called? The coast yeah. to coast. That was freaking sweet. Um, that might be my favorite movie. Match. I really freaking enjoyed that. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the bit where Charles got into Billy's face and was like, I own you. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> a, a white dude, same mental black guy. I get that. I get that he was working heel. I get that. It, it wasn't done in a way where it's like the promotion condones this message, but I still, I, I don't know, it squirked me a little bit. But if if Billy agreed to do that spot and was cool with it, then I can I can let that go. It just it kind of threw me a little bit. Um, I uh I liked the ending. Um, I liked Paro. This is one of the first matches I've seen Paro in, where I almost didn't pay attention to him because I was so invested in figuring out what everybody else was doing in this match. You know, um, and that's not a knock on that. Like he's very charismatic. I just, I mean, is he as charismatic as Ali Catch? I don't know. Yeah. You know? He's, he wrestles in NWA a lot, and he kind of washes over me in NWA, which I hate because I don't really like him. But in NWA, he's mm. a big guy in a sea of big guys. <laughs> it's, it's like Billy Corgan mm. hasn't hired anyone under three, over 300 pounds he doesn't like. Um, and it's like, you know, for Paro, is a bit more subtle than that. He is over 300 pounds, but he's got more stuff to him. He kind of just gets lost in the big lunks of NWA, whereas here, he's the biggest guy on the card, and suddenly he stands out, and he's a star, and he's a monster, and he's kind of what he needs to be. Um, so I think he's much more enjoyable in this environment, not because he's a gay wrestler in a gay wrestling promoter, LGBTQI wrestling promotion, but because he's because he's stands out more because he's not everything in this promotion. Or everyone has a defined character because 
don't need to develop those characters on the Indies in numerous different companies. And it's more of a knock on the NWA in the fact that all of their big guys are just big guys and they do big guy stuff and there's lots of them. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Just like... I, I, I like Taro. I just, I didn't connect with his performance here and that may just be, be because he's gotten to the point where he's good enough at what he does that um, I'm able to take him for granted and not appreciate the subtleties of what he's doing. Well, his his um, job was to be the heater. That was his job here. He's, he's, he's Charles Mason's muscle and he did that job yeah. very well. And you, you're kind of mm, not supposed to notice him in that particular role, I suppose. Um, in which case, that was successful. But yes, I can understand what you're saying too. Um, and I mean, was there any doubt that Thrussy was going to win this? I mean, I'm glad they did, but there was no suspense. The good guys have to win occasionally. This is this is something like you know, yeah. it's when Bully Ray goes on about heat all the time, and it's like, yeah, but you have to pay it off, or people stay bored and stop watching. Because you can't get, you can't have oppression forever. Occasionally, there has to be a let off valve. <laughs> you know that, that is that is the thing. There has to be a let off valve occasionally. You know, you look at you look at the difference between in the eighties between WWF, who had a babyface long term champion who held the belt for like five years, and Ric Flair, who was the the heel champion in the NWA, who held the belt for eighteen months at most, because you had to have hope that you would get beaten one day. When your baby face is the champ, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he can shoot the belt forever. You know, mm. and I think that is kind of the theme of the weekend when you look at the WrestleMania main event of Roman Reigns keeping the championship again. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But it is Ooh. just like eventually you have to blow it off and you've got to stop it from being a disappointment and going to the wrong person and you have the heat and the way you went you had the heat so why didn't you use it? But anywho, back to this match. Yeah, this is this is this is this is the way the main event WrestleMania should have been booked. <laughs> there you go. So have you any closing thoughts on this show? I'll go to Chelsea first. Um, this was really fun. I enjoyed it. I love that there is a exploratory and also safe space for queer wrestlers in wrestling. And, um, I thought this was well booked. I thought the card, like the order of everything made sense. I thought the finishes made sense. Um, I think, uh, I'm not sure if Effie is like the only person making those booking decisions, but whoever's doing it, they know what they're doing. Um, I thought commentary was great. I, I would love it if there was a wrestling product like this so that I could watch more than just a few times a year. I would really enjoy that. I would, I would completely agree with you. Uh, Anna, what's your final thoughts? Yeah, it was a really fun show to watch top to bottom, especially with friends and especially with uh, somebody who had never even experienced, like, wwe like as a child there like and it was just a fun excuse to get people together and get drunk at what time was it four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> i 
I loved it. And, uh, and Chelsea was more eloquent with what she said, but uh, I definitely agree with what Chelsea said as well in, in the fact that uh, it's great to have this space for queer people to show that they're not just gimmicks in, in the wrestling world and that there are queer wrestlers who can work every style of wrestling and to not frame them in a box or to have them only working these comedic characters or uh, having them as uh, catty heel characters and, and things of that nature. We can have queer people like express themselves the way that they want to express themselves in the ring is when they have a platform like Big Gay Breath. Exactly. And I think, yes. Right then, thank you very much for joining us today. Where can we find you on the internet, Anna? On Twitter, I am beer underscore underscore uncle. So beer uncle with two underscores between beer and uncle. <laughs> Chelsea, where can we find you? Uh, I am panels and pros with no spaces or underscores um, on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Okay, then. Well, after the break, we'll be talking to Marcus Green about uh, Ring of Honor's Supercard of Honor and, of course, the multiverse of multiversey strong thing from Impact Wrestling, which Fred Rossi was also on. It was a nice continuation uh, as the day went forward because I believe all three of these shows were on the same day. This was in the morning, the Impact show was in the afternoon. And the Ring of Honor show was in the evening. So there you go. Uh, so we'll come back after this break. Now I've got to remember I have to stop recording. <laughs> How do we... Oh yeah, just press stop. Welcome back to the Troopany Show. And joining me for the second half of this show, or second two-thirds, I guess, is the gentleman from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Normally our... Um, Gleet correspondent. I think we'll be returning to that next week as there's a couple of Gleet shows to catch up on. But as always, off and forever, our Ring of Honor and Impact Wrestling correspondent from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Mr. Marcus Green. How are you doing, sir? Good. Uh, for us to get back to some Impact and Ring of Honor, obviously, uh, from Ring of Honor, pretty faithfully trying to, uh, as it's transitioned into, into obviously AEW now, it's more so into its own thing, but also. Feel like it's been years since we talked anything with impact so it's good to be talking. yeah i think that's because impact largely drives me nuts <laughs> a lot of the time and i'm sure that will shine through as we look at this show i mean there's some stuff that's great and you just look at it and you go wow that's awesome and then you look at other stuff and it's like <sighs> so i think that's possibly why why although i'm i'm more i'm more towards it and more supportive of it these days than i have been in a while so we'll start with your Impact Wrestling. They had a show called Impact Wrestling New Japan Multiverse United. Only the strong will survive, which is very long. <laughs> As you would guess, it featured wrestlers from New Japan Pro Wrestling and against wrestlers from Impact Wrestling and also one wrestler from Tokyo Joshi Pro, but they weren't allowed to say Tokyo Joshi Pro for reasons I do not know, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, the first match was actually Mue Uemura versus Gabe Kidd, which was a dark match. Um, Ue Murimura sporting a new longer hairstyle and Gabe Kidd being, you know, Gabe Kidd. Did you see that one, Marcus? Yeah, I did. It's my first time seeing Gabe Kidd, and uh, it's been a while since I've seen Uemura, but uh, this this was good. This was, 
like I said, first time seeing Gabe Kidd, and this was a great, great introduction for him. Very smash mouth, rough, bring it to you, relentless type style, and uh, he, he definitely pushed you more in the match. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ewan Moore has come out of the Japanese dojo. He's kind of graduated. He has, he's got very DDT-looking gear. <laughs> I don't mean to be like disparaging or anything. He looks like a guy who should be wrestling for DDT, not for New Japan for wrestling. Gabe Kidd, obviously from Nottingham, British wrestler, who uh, spent most of his last few years in the New Japan dojo, had some mental health issues that have been very, very public and just kind of got himself back on track. Had a really good run in the World Tag League, tagging with Alex Coughlin. Um, and this was kind of more of the same. You more a scrappy young upstart. Um, uh, Gabe Kidd has um, kind of got himself a fair bit of presence, a little bit older than you, Mora, and he took the win uh, on the opening of the show, uh, which leads into the opening match, which was kind of your standard Impact Wrestling opening match. Trey Miguel of Impact Wrestling Champion defended the X Division title against Clark Connors of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Frankie Kazarian of Impact Wrestling, Kevin Knight of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Rich Swan of um, Impact Wrestling, and Rocky Romero of CMLL, Impact Wrestling, New Japan, anyone he turns up for, really. Seven minutes and 11 seconds with the champ retaining the title. This was, as you'd expect, a spot fest of the highest order, because that's what these kind of matches always are, and was perfectly fine for being the spot fest. Rocky unfortunately sporting his very new haircut which is incredibly short thanks to losing a hair versus hair match in mexico city the week before what did you think of this one marcus yeah like you said standard solid fair uh they never go wrong with opening with their division always reliable always entertaining always open up things uh, with some high octane action um and I always come in you know these these performers because you know in the past we've seen a lot of um creatively uh spun up matches from from tna that that have basically been gigantic cluster f's and sometimes these have the potential to be some because these performers are so skilled at what they do they end up running smoother than some singles matches sometimes which is weird but um yeah like i said standard affair um obviously trade with another title defense don't necessarily like what he's doing with the title right now but um, he's, uh, Trey always puts in work no matter what way he's at on the card. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Trey's currently go through a bit of a slow heel turn. He seems to be about 75 degrees from face, I think, at the moment. Um, Clark Connors is... I don't know what's going on with Clark Connors. He spent too much time hanging out with Taguchi, I think. That's the, they were together for Best of Super Junior Tag League, uh, Best of Super J Cup Tag Cup. Um, and... It, it did things to him because he's supposed to be a hunter, but it's looking awfully very disco being a hunter. What's your thoughts on Frankie Kazarian signing back with Impact rather than AEW, Marcus? I loved it. Um, I thought he was, you know, once him and Daniels kind of parted ways, um, you know, with the influx of talent that they have and, and sometimes seemingly not knowing what to do with a lot of them, he, as a an older guy, um, Seemingly got lost in the shuffle. I think he was supposed to be some type of uh, some type of hunter uh, at, at one point, and that was going one way, but it just really wasn't clicking. I think then they had him uh, around the the TNT title, but not necessarily going forward. So um, to me, he he could have been better utilized. And I think he got fully 
realized with that in, in terms of impact. And it's just great to see somebody with their lineage in the company come back and do some big things um, against what he did with, with Josh Alexander. He's still got a lot of gas in the tank, too. So I think um, I think he made the right decision. I, I, I agree with you. I think SCU in general have kind of run their course as individuals. They just recently got installed into the California Wrestling Hall of Fame. So congratulations to them. I think Chris Daniels is settling into being an executive for AEW. He obviously is important in the DDT Tokyo Joshi Pro crossover that's going on. He's he's working with that quite closely. Um, so yeah, I can see Kazarian's just in the right place, and he's kind of like found he's found motivation again, and that's that's really what you, that's really what you need to nice to see. Kevin Knight is of course absolutely ridiculous and can drop people in the chop kick people in the face when they're sat on the top rope or off Kashida's shoulders which is quite remarkable Rick Swan being Rick Swan he was doing well and Rocky Romero again kind of like you know being Rocky Romero and sometimes you just need Rocky Romero um, as my good friends Jackie and Clarissa who were sat down by the aisle once again we saw them um, at the San Jose show for New Japan Pro Wrestling whenever New Japan turn up in North America Clarissa and Jackie will be there Somewhere near the front row, trying to get a look at on the rear issue. Anywho, oh, oh well, they were they were the two that was getting hugged by everybody. Yes, that was that nice. was them. Yes, nice. with mutuals on Twitter, I started following them when they started like doing an in-depth critique of the G1 um, press conferences because they like men in suits, and it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I started following them then, and they're awesome and they're really funny. <laughs> so yeah, Jack Lee, ja, Clarissa AZ. Um, and Cheeky Jack on Twitter. You should go follow them. They're fun. They're cool. Uh, let's move on to the second match. Alice Coughlin. Was Callahan, no longer Sammy, apparently. We can come to four to keep the Sammy. Fred Rosser and PCO defeat Eddie Edwards, Joe Hendry, and Team Filthy, J.R. Kratos and Tom Law in 12 minutes and 24 seconds of a match that just seemed to happen because random people tagged with random people to get random things done. I'm not sure the point of this match nor who, why people were tagging with whom, but it seemed to be people from New Japan Strong who were kind of heels, but kind of popular, along with guys from Impact who were kind of popular, but also kind of heels against people who used to be heels, but now are popular in Impact with, with baby faces from New Japan Strong. It was strange. It happened. There were some ridiculous spots in it. That's all I can say about it. Uh, Marcus, can you add often more? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it. I mean, they kind of said it on um, on commentary. You know, that this was a unique, like what Coughlin, uh, that what Edwards, Hendry, uh, Tom Lawler, and uh, Kratos. That that's unique in itself. And then you look <laughs> on the other side. It's okay. You got PCO. Like, like there's beefs here. Like obviously PCO and Eddie Edwards have a thing. Um, Callahan tends to have a thing with most guys. And uh, it, it was cool to see Fred Ross. I hadn't seen him in a, in a very long time. I, I've always heard he's been doing great stuff wherever he's been going and having great success and whatnot. But like you said, this was kind of just like an odd hodgepodge that they kind of put together to kind of obviously follow the thing. So um, it happened. Yeah, that's, I guess, I mean, I, I, I like Jump Tom Waller's new sideburns. They kind of add to the filthy persona quite well. Can't really say <laughs> PCO again is a ridiculous human being, and I don't yeah. understand how at his age 
he can do those things. We did, me and Martin and Dara did a um, retrospective on the Brawl for All. And Dara uh, was talking about the person that fought, I can't, was it Steve Blackman? I think it was Steve Blackman in the first round. He said he must have been a jobber. He said he must have, he got hammered. He just didn't last very long at all. And I went, yeah, that's PCO. And he's like, that's incredible. What? Because <laughs> PCO was in the brawl for all some 25 years ago and is still an exceptionally talented and well-qualified professional wrestler that takes ridiculous books for a man of his age when he doesn't really need to. Um, but there you go. He's, he's there. And, they, and it happened. Um, yeah. No, go ahead. Um, well, yeah, Joe Hendry, is he turning heel or what? <laughs> I don't think he is. It might be. It might be slightly impossible at, at this point with the with the song and everything. Um, I wasn't too high on him at first, and then I I could see him wrestle moves. I'm like, okay, he's not just somebody that comes out there, um, and, and does some vocal antics and whatnot. And some of his stuff has been quite funny, um, making fun of uh. Rod and Slate um and um Hart Hawkins. Um but yeah the it the formerly known as Edgeheads. But um <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I think I think he could go either way because he does come off as very pompous uh, at times, but I do think more so than most people he is uh better suited for that digital media championship than most on the roster. So yeah, I think, I think you're right as well. It, it, Hendry grew up in ICW wrestling in, in Glasgow, which was the hottest promotion in the UK for a good five or six years. And um, it was a real pressure cooker environment. And I think that's why he does so well with the character stuff, because it was really difficult to stand out when you had like Grado and all this violence going off. So, and he managed to do it by just trying to be different and doing different things like he wasn't an amateur wrestler first who turned pro. He was a pro wrestler who became an amateur wrestler to give himself a different level of character to his character, which is bizarre. But there you go. It's one of those things. You know, he was not, he was a pro wrestler who actually turned out to be quite a, a quite a good standard of of, um, of amateur wrestler because he represented Scotland in the Commonwealth Games. A bit easier to represent Scotland in the Commonwealth Games than Britain in the Olympics. He aimed at the right level, <laughs> which is very sensible of him. Let's move on, though. We had a singles match next, next, which was a complete horse fight. Jeff Cobb versus Moose. 11 minutes and 51 seconds. Jeff Cobb taking the victory for the United Empire. Um, yeah, this was all right. It was okay. I don't, not a lot for what to write him about. Again, I can understand why you put these two together because it's a big horse fight. Um, and a lot of the time when you've got cars like this where it's just a bunch of guys and girls versus a bunch of guys and girls, it's sometimes difficult to string a narrative together. Um, but this worked. This was all right. Um, especially as Jeff Cobb had just come off a massive flight from wrestling Kenny Omega on the other side of the country. They did really well. What did you think of this one, Marcus? Yeah, you can't be mad at this. Like, this is uh, And this, I think, was a replacement for what Moose and Osprey. Osprey had to back out. Um, oh, that's a, that, yes, that's a shame. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, oh, uh, my, oh, my two least favorite wrestlers on the entire planet wrestling one another? Oh, one they can't. Whoa, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, huh, I want this. <laughs> this really was the ruined day. Like, 
yeah. Um, oh, bless you. I don't know if you sneezed there. Um, but yeah, it uh, it, it was a quick high do a fan. Look, you you get these two together, it's, it's gonna be uh, kind of destructive. Also, we just coming off the of PCO, which is a whole different thing in itself. But these two, you know, Bonafair, fair, Cobb can go, Moose can go. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the right person won. Um, so Kyle's been building himself up, um, and obviously joined the faction, and you know he's uh coming along nicely in New Japan, and and, and Moose is in his weird era right now. He's not really near championship, um, and he's coming off a few with Hendry, so he's kind of just um going going up and down, kind of in the middle of the card right now. So we'll see what goes on with that. But this this was like you said, standard affair, nothing uh too crazy, but enough that that I think met the standard for these two uh bigger than normal guys i think this is the thing with with moose i don't see why he's still in pat wrestling but i don't see anyone else at hiring like i think he's there because they would have him and i'm not sure anyone else would do you see what i mean so he's kind yeah. of stuck <laughs> yeah and, and, it's, and it's interesting you say that too because it kind of feels like like what happens now because we've seen that transition dating all the way back from ring of honor to him coming there and him having another transformation uh, in the company from being, you know, a guy that's just there. Because um, you got to remember, this was somebody that was having matches for that, um, what it was, the Impact Grand Championship. Mm. Um, he was doing that at a time, and then I think something clicked and he got in really good shape and, and really moved himself into the World Heavyweight uh, Championship scene. Um, because after I think he was in that he was in that faction with Aries and Cross, and once that had fizzled out and and, and those two guys went their way, he was kind of just left. And I think he ended up making the most of it. But obviously, um, now that he's like I said, the world out of the world title scene just kind of feels like it's not too much for him to do, specifically when he's feuded with most, if not everybody, on the card. And yeah, just like you said, it kind of feels like nobody else to have him. And I don't know what he does if he goes somewhere else. Like he, it kind of seemed like real awkward if he went to WWE. Not because he's coming from Impact, but I just don't know what you do um, with a guy like Moose. And they don't necessarily have the best track record with guys that look like Moose, if you know what I'm saying, all no, the time. So, um, yeah, I'm, um, I think as well his 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 background obviously also plays into that fact whether people want to hire him or not. I'm absolutely okay with it. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's it's a different it's a it's a different world to when Impact signed Moose what seven years ago. So let's move on. Uh, Diana Parazzo defeated Giselle Shaw, Master Shamuch, and Mimi Meshta in a Nimpout Knockout World Championship Number One Contender Four Way Match. It's an awful lot of words. Um, this was pretty damn good, to be honest with you. Um, I enjoy it a lot, but then these are four of my favorite wrestlers, so I'm going to like them. Mia Yamashita, this was not her Impact Wrestling debut. TJPW were in town, they were doing a show, and loads of people had lots of different matches and lots of different companies that they have deals with. I'm not sure TJPW have a deal with Impact Wrestling, because Impact Wrestling have a deal with um, New Japan Pro Wrestling, which obviously owns Stardom, which is TJPW's biggest... Um, uh, biggest uh, opposing company in Joshi. So it was a little bit complicated, which is probably the reason why they couldn't mention that she was from TJPW, 
So I'm guessing she was just on a freelancer kind of visit, did a bunch of TV tapings while she was there. So, but she also appeared on AEW TV as well this week. So she's she had a pretty good time. TJPW girls did well. Um, this is probably the first time you've seen her, Marcus. Masha Samovich, of course, your current GCW World's Heavyweight Champion. She beat um, um, Nick Cage for the, for the championship. Um, Diana Prazzo being the classy Diana Prazzo. So, and of course, Giselle Shaw was part of an unfortunate incident that was all over the, the wrestling press this week. Well, thoughts go to Giselle Shaw and hope she's okay. Um, not so much to excite her. Please go away. Anyway, Marcus, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, man, always shout out to the women, man. They really turned up. And, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, the legendary Jay always say, uh, maximize their minutes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, this this was just great stuff. Um, Slamovich is an absolute beast. It doesn't surprise me that she's uh, a world champion in GCW. Um, and, and kudos to Gage for not, you know, uh, you know, moving out of the way and, and letting somebody like Slamovich represent the brand in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in some very interesting times uh, when we see stuff like that, um, and rightfully so, though. Obviously, like you said, my introduction to me, you, she absolutely was killing it with the kicks. Um, and, and Giselle took that took that to heart and it was giving as good as she got. Um, and I just, I don't, it's few it's few better to watch than Deanna Parasso when she 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 adds that aggression to the techni- technical abilities, uh, which I always like to see. So, um, yeah, these, these four just went out there and it was, it was some good stuff. My only knock on this match, uh, unfortunately, is is Mickey on commentary, because um, she she was just she was kind of over exaggerating the, the uh, on, on the verbal cues uh, with her reactions, if you will, to the match. She was kind of just she was hamming it up a little bit, um, but other than that, this was this was a, a great match, and they they could have took some time, maybe off that uh, that four uh, that eight man and and and, and you know, added some time to this for me, but you know, um, it was cool to see Deanna get the win. Also, she gets uh, potentially added to the, the title shot coming up at Rebellion, and if it's a three-way or she gets to go against Mickey one-on-one again, I'm sure I'm, I'm looking forward to it either way. Yes, Mickey James is currently on the injured list. Um, I'm not sure if she's actually injured or that's the storyline. Uh, either way, there will be an Impact Championship match at a Rebellion, which will be uh, uh, Jordan Grace versus Diana Parazzo or Jordan, Diana Parazzo versus Nikki um, James and Jordan Grace, I think. They've been made very clear. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think what they uh, came to, because like you said, it was, it was going back and forth while the interest was happening. So it's either going to be, if, uh, if Mickey is clear, they're going to do a, a three-way, but if she's taken out, uh, um, is going to be Deanna versus Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here's an interesting thing. This card featured Shane Haste, Kenta, Minoru Suzuki, um, and um, ooh, who else was there on this card? Uh, well, yeah, they're, they're all pretty good at kicking people quite hard, and none of them kick as hard as Mayu Yamashita. Um, just wanted to point that out. She kicks people exceptionally hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
the according to Cage Match, the next one was the second best match on the card, so we best talk about it, really. Impact World Tag Team Championships, Bullet Club Ace Austin and Chris Bay successfully defended against Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis, Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban, and the Mighty Don't Neil, Bad Dude, Tito and Shane Hayes in this particular iteration. 12 and 13 minutes, 22 seconds of, well, you know how I feel about multi-person matches, and this entire card was full of multi-person matches. Well, this was pretty coherent and everyone got their stuffing, as we say on this show. Um, and there were some cool spots and there were some interesting spots. And it was intriguing because obviously the winners were Ace Austin and Chris Bay, the, one of the regular tag teams. And obviously Badu Tito and Shane Haste don't tag as often as the others. If it was bad, Shane Haste and my, Mikey Nichols, it would have been a different story. And I think that was the story they were trying to sell that Bad Dude isn't a regular tag team wrestler. He's just a member of the Mighty Don't Neil. And unfortunately for Bandu, Tito, that seems to be his role. And I don't like it because I think he's got loads of potential and I think he needs to win more matches. But every time I see him, he's the guy who's there to get pinned, which is happens a lot to a lot of New Japan going. He's the Chase Owens of the Mighty Don't Neil. But having said that, Chase Owens gets wins occasionally and has won two championships in <laughs> New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Bandu Tito just seems to be on the losing end every time. And I think they could do more with him. Uh, what's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, it, it's it's weird. It's almost like the evolution of, of, of being a Janetti. You're not the one that sucks, but you're the one that gets pinned all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is weird. But but just coming off that, it's, it's like when you were talking about this, I think... Um, one of one of uh, you and I's first ever interactions before we ever started uh, um, being obviously more acquainted and then eventually doing this was uh, I think when I was still writing for the site and I had written about it was one of them crazy tag team matches Impact had I don't know if it was the Guns versus the Wolves or whatever and I think I had I think I had said like the Wolves were the best and you was like uh uh-uh. like the time splitters exist. <laughs> and I remember that then I went in I was like wait a minute because this was I don't think when I had as got watched as much New Japan as I do now so um, when I went back and looked I was like I, I can't I mean this is Alex Shelley and, and Kushida out here doing the crazy stuff so um, but that was a that was a fun memory that popped up but yeah this was like you said the second best match on the card I mean these are some of the best tag teams you'll see anywhere um Austin and Bay have been brilliant. Um, and, and you know, I think that, that trip to New Japan did them the a world of good. Um, coming back and killing it in Impact, Aussie Open, just freaking hosses, motorcycle machine guns are just legendary at this point. And the Mighty Don't Need it was great to see them. They they feel like they're all over the place. So you put these teams together and I mean 13 minutes, 22 seconds could have been all night for me, because this was this was just great. Um, and the tag straps was on the line, and it did feel like it could have went either way. Um, so, yeah, this, this was just some great stuff. Like I said, these are some of the best tag teams you'll see anywhere, and um, I'm glad they got to show that on this card. I think that's really the majesty that comes with this whole multiverse thing, with these guys get this kind of uh, spotlight, and mm-hmm. in this particular way where you probably won't see these teams that say the clash like this on, on in other spaces. But uh, this this was some good stuff, man. Oh, definitely. For sure. Right, let's move on. Kushida defeated Leo Rush in a match that matters an awful lot to Kushida's impact wrestling career, but also kind of puts him in place 
long term for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship when Leo Rush missed out on that championship against Roman Takahashi a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that makes him a strong contender back home in New Japan. But in Power Wrestling, he is the person who put Josh Alexander out. And that means that Josh Alexander's had to relinquish the uh, Impact Professional Wrestling World Series Championship. And Kushida's looking for a world title. It was always Kushida's dream to win the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. And now he's got his sights set on the Impact Wrestling Championship. And I think he makes an interesting choice because, you know, a Canadian being, well, obviously he's not, he didn't get beaten by a Canadian. <laughs> we got, he got beat by a Canadian. But, you know, a Japanese champion of that company, which I don't think there has been, going back in my head, I don't think there has been. I think Kishida's an interesting choice for that title. And I think he he's always wanted to wrestle at heavyweight, and he can't really do that in New Japan because everyone's just too big. But Impact Wrestling, he can wrestle as a heavyweight and has been doing, and I think he shines in that environment. And I think it does in the world of good. And this match with Leo Rush was there to kind of like highlight how great Kushida was and the threat to the World Championship that he is. And it was just great to see him back in singles action, firing on all cylinders. He's kind of been playing the, you know, uncle role to Kevin Knight in their tag team that did well in the Super J Tag League. And that's where I've seen him most recently. Um, but he's doing good stuff and he seems invigorated and back in the groove again. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus, and your thoughts on Kushida in general? Oh, we know, you know, anybody that's been listening to us for any period of time, I love Kushida. Um, I'm so glad he's off of of his excursion uh, in uh, his first trip in the States, and this one is going better. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Kushida's always been brilliant to me, uh, seeing his evolution and his climb. in New Japan was great. Like I said, that first excursion when he came over here to WWE was not it at all. Um, he had moments of brilliance, but other it just it just wasn't what it was supposed to be. So seeing him go back to New Japan and thrive in the way that he's doing now, now to come to Impact, like you said, uh, him being in the world title pitch is probably something that could only happen with him in Impact. Because um, to us, he's, he's kind of been ready to be in that spot for a while. But like you said, it's just it's in that new Japan system, it just wouldn't happen. Um, and, and I think, you know, putting on him an impact would be an inspired choice. And, and, and to be clear, for as long as me and you have been watching, um, this would be on the brighter side of champion choices that they made. In uh, years past, that's certainly no knock on Alexander. Alexander has been an absolute inspired champion. Um, and, and it sucks that it has to come uh, to an end like this. Uh, but it's weird, too, because he ironically holds the longest and shortest world title reign in the company. Mm. Um, which is weird. But, yeah, you know, Josh is the man. But I think Kushida versus, I think, who is Macklin, who's been climbing up the card as well. All the two yeah. Yeah. for right now. Um, uh, Macklin is certainly, you know, Macklin is certain smash mouth and has been actually had a story uh, connected to him getting to this match but like i said i, I don't you put it on kushida that's i mean is it I'm, I'm not gonna complain about it. it's kushida i think he's ready for it i think he can obviously hold a weight and i think that creates a lot of new uh brilliant match opportunities particularly with guys like kazarian and gresham and swan and so many others on the roster who can uh compete with him and and, and bang out some absolute classics to me but um yeah i just love this and i love seeing rush here as well um he's another one that we know have had 
you know, his own uh, trials and tribulations when it's come to mental health and whatnot and going back and forth and, you know, what, what he was going to do with the industry in the last few years. And it's great to see him come out on the other side of that, go to New Japan and thrive and, and come in and uh, do the same thing on this show. So, yeah, I don't, I, it, it'll be fun to see a, um, a bad Leo Rush and Kushida match, you know, respectfully alone. You bring them together, it's going to be some good stuff every time. So, definitely. Um, it's funny you mentioned excursions because before I was watching this, I was watching um, John Chen's um, show on Haggerty, and he was he sometimes goes to Japan to look at cars. And uh, if you go to the Yokohama Housing Estate and you find the right building, you will find a building that is full of BMWs and Ferraris, and the boss Ide San um tunes ferraris like full body kits and he um strokes them as well to give them more horsepower and fully tunes them to make them more drivable daily drivers so if you've got your quarter of a million pounds uh ferrari enzo you take it to him and he makes it better for you <laughs> but the, reason why, <laughs> the reason why it made me smile was because they, they asked him, like, where do you where do you learn all this stuff? And he said, well, I, I started on motorbikes and, and then I got onto cars and my kids got cars. I had to tune them for them. And I also went to a German motorsport team for six months and learned how to build race cars. And that's how I learned all about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Even high quality race car engineers in Japan go on excursion. No, I mean that's that's crazy. Like you, you you take it, you make you make a Ferrari faster, but you also make it more um feasible for everyday drive. That's that's a different level of skill. That is. These it's uh, the, the, like the, the full like new body kits so that they you know that they get more aerodynamics so they hold the road better and he's he does the engine management system. It's just insane stuff. And it's like, so you've got this priceless car and then we're going to chop it up and make it better. <laughs> it's like, oh, of course you are. <laughs> that's like, yeah. Anywho, let us moving or move on because speaking of chopping stuff up, oh, New Japan Strong Open Weight Championship. Kenta successfully, defeated, defeated, successfully defended against Minoru Suzuki. 15 minutes and 27 seconds of a slobber knocker of a match that they expect these two to have. Kenta gets one back. He's one and two against Suzuki. He's now two and two against Suzuki. I'm guessing that was back in the Noah days. Um, this could have been better, but neither Kenta nor Suzuki worked at the hard camera because they would be in Kenta and Suzuki and they don't need no stinking hard camera. But if you think about it in New Japan's kind of world, the hard camera is on the opposite side of where the hard camera was for this show. So they were. <laughs> but it just meant you couldn't see stuff because the cameraman aren't set up to do the shows the way New Japan do their shows, which is because this looks like an impact show, which is fine. But it does mean that when you've got two New Japan wrestlers, we're not used to doing the things the way American directors want them to do. You do tend to lose a lot in translation. And that was the biggest issue with this match. I don't think it was particularly execution from either of them. This just was, I thought this was great. And I loved it because I love Kenta and I love Minoru Suzuki. Um, but yeah, what did you think of this one, Marcus? Well, with white meat baby face Minoru Suzuki these days, he's a good guy now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, murder grandpa. It's, it, it feel like it's always going gonna to be one of the things with Minoru, like with the older he got. Um, and it is, it's weird in a way because he's actually, you know, gotten his aggression is not turned down, but it's like, you know, I just, I just feel like it's taking that long for a lot of people to just turn around to. And it's like, now it's not that level of aggression. And maybe it's because of just how the business has gone. And then we've seen so much of that elevated in terms of the performance, uh, that we get now, like now, you know, it feels like guys like Seamus and Walter, are like regular things now. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, Minoru's always been there, always been the murder grandpa. Um, and against somebody like Kenta, like these, these last three matches, these, if you don't know any of these guys, by the time you get through watching them, they're going to be some of your favorites. Like I already love like guys like Kushida and Leo. They're some of my favorites, man. but, but Kenta, you know, brilliant. Obviously Minoru was a legend. And then we're going to get to the last match. But this was, like you said, even though it's, and a lot of people won't even recognize that until you brought it up about just how the differences and how things are shot because I think the what sounds like to some of those Ferraris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I live in a village which happens to have its own racetrack. <laughs> Not kidding. Across the road and up the street, there's a little small racetrack where people go have track days and they have like they don't do race meetings because the track's too small, but they do autocross, essentially. So they do like track days on there, and it's been a race meeting this weekend. So people are now going home. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, by the sound of things, that might have been just a motorbike going past. But yes, I do get to hear the sound of race cars every day, which is quite uh, nice. Uh, that, that, is, that is ace. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But like you said, probably some people probably wouldn't pay attention to that. Uh, just the new, the, the differences, the nuances of how things are shot in New Japan, whereas in the states, like it kind of is like um, almost like you kind of called talking about the earlier matches, where it's like it's it's almost like spot directed in in a sense. Mm. Whereas in, in New Japan, it kind of feels like they just go with the wrestlers. And also, like you said, they got hard cameras, but you know they kind of let things flow and kind of a lot of the the. You know, the wrestlers kind of dictate that in a way. But again, like you said, if you've been watching it long enough, you you get it because you follow these guys. Like you said, um, chop fest. And I'm I'm not mad at like I said, watching these two and, and for the months I've been watching Walter and Sheamus or Gunta and Sheamus, you know, you just get you, you just get you some of that Vicks vapor off. <laughs> And, and just to get you some ice or whatever you need, some ice out or whatever you need, you kind of just sit back and enjoy it because, you know, a lot of this stuff, uh, you just don't get a lot. Sometimes you get it technical. Sometimes you get uh, what you what we got in the opener, which I'm sure I always like looking at those matches and imagine somebody just sitting somebody like, uh, like Cornette down and just making him watch it so he can go crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is look. It's Kenta and Suzuki. Even if it's not what it could be, it's still better than most things. So, which is how those guys are. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> which leads us to the main event of the evening: Spiderball, Space Spiderball, Speedball. Mike Bailey has long been considered probably the best independent wrestler in North America. Um, only really in the last eighteen months has he really been able to show that. I can remember me and John 
did a bunch of these collective matches last year or the year before, and he seemed to be on about five of them. Um, and uh, we kind of all, everyone was in that. We all knew he was that good. If you'd seen his stuff in C4 in Canada and in ISW in Canada and for GCW in the Canadian show matches, you knew he was exactly that good. However, he couldn't do it because he was landlocked in Canada. He couldn't get out of the country, which meant that no one really saw him as much as they should have done. And then all of a sudden, he explodes onto the scene, gets signed with Impact Wrestling, and is is really showing off his skill set. So he needs a graduation present, really, to kind of main, set himself apart as a main event wrestler. And the best way you can do that is kind of wrestle a guy who knows what he's doing to make people look great. And there is nobody on this planet that makes anyone look better than Hiroshi Tanahashi. And that's what he did. 15 minutes and 16 seconds, Tanahashi takes a win. Well, that's not the story here. Bailey lived with the living legend and pushed him to the limit. That's the story here. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? You've been listening to us for a while. You know that there's just some matches that even if we talk about them for an hour, um, we still can't do them no justice. This is the match that I say, don't listen to me, just go watch it. Just, yeah. just, just go watch it. Just go watch it. Look, this, this, you know, we, we've been talking about this card. There's some good stuff um, all throughout it. Obviously, uh, the women, like, like we say, turn it up. Obviously, great extra vision opener. These last three specifically on this card um, really, really is why, and obviously the tag as well, is why you know this whole multiverse concept has been uh, working uh, for the last few years, and, uh, and hopefully it only continues to get better. But this, come on, Mike Bailey, like you said, um, I just go and watching PWG, and um, obviously he was doing this thing after that, and like you said, he he ran into that situation where he he had to uh, he couldn't get back over here, and I think he came back over here after that uh, with a chip on his shoulder and rightfully so because he needed to reestablish himself, like you said, as the guy to watch one of the best, if not the best, independent wrestlers and impact. And for as much flack as we've given him in the past, as early as so, yet another brilliant signing to snatch up somebody like Bailey, recognize his talent, allow him to absolutely kill it. Um, because the only person that was having better matches than him in the, in the last year or so in impact was Josh Alexander. Um, and they had a classic. So, um, yeah, this was just brilliant. And, and you know, Losing to Tanahashi is just like getting a trophy, in my opinion, because you're getting to wrestle a living legend. And um, like I say, even at 50 percent, you know, that's Tanahashi. That's better than most other guys, 100 percent. So, um, like you said, it was a brilliant showcase and there's no loss here. There's just another way for Baylor to elevate. And uh, yeah, that's this is a match you do to close the show. That's how you close the show. Yeah, for sure. There's also a nice party because Fred Rosser was on Big Gay Brunch um, and then, of course, was on this show. And then Tenerosh Tanahashi was on this show and then he's going to be on the next show, review, which was Ring of Honor's Supercard of Honor from the Garland Center in front of a sellout, 4,000 people. This was like the first big show that was still under the shadow of Jay Briscoe. Let's be honest, you can't walk away from it. But the four big shows that we reviewed last year were about FDR and the Briscoes. That was about them. You know, it was the entire company was about them. 
other stuff happened around them, <laughs> but it was about them. And obviously with the passing of Jay, that's kind of put a different complexion on this. And this was trying, this show kind of was trying to pay tribute to Jay whilst closing the chapter on Ring of Honor as it was and how it's going to be moving forward. And that's kind of the filter, I think, that this show was kind of put into. Would you agree, Marcus? No, absolutely. And I think both from from the fans' perspective, but I would imagine certainly more so from the performance perspective, I don't think anybody just wanted just to do one tribute show to Jay. To Jay. Like just a one and done, um, particularly when it came to one company because he wasn't, even though obviously so much of his legacy is cemented and, and uh, are synonymous with Ring of Honor, those guys are global now. You know, them boys, the Briscoes, they went all over, you know. Um, when that, that whole thing with, with, with Ring of Honor happened, it looked like they wasn't going back uh, for a second there. Them getting out was one of the best things. To me, that happened because they, they opened up a lot of people's eyes because there, there's still a perception that, um, unfortunately, and this is just some of the, the, the willful ignorance that comes with some of the, the uh, fan community. If you did, if you never went to WWE, you technically, you technically didn't make it that whole deal um and that's just that's just no longer a thing oftentimes and 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 you know times we're seeing now guys thrive not never going at all a lot of times so and i think obviously i think that's a piece of their legacy as well but uh yeah i don't think anybody just wanted to to see one tribute or, or, or one show dedicated to those guys because they they touched every every place they went and they and so many of these guys are part of this story particularly the tag team so yeah, like you said, uh, so much of last year was about that that phenomenal trilogy that they had, and obviously now, um, I think even th- throughout the rest of the year, because we still see obviously guys having the armband and whatnot, um, and certainly where things are going in terms of the the, the tag scene with, with Ring of Honor, you know, a lot of that uh, Jay uh, tribute and and just feels still going to be felt out throughout the uh, the industry. So, I 100% agree with what you said, and. Uh, it was just great that now looking back on it to see that tag match because you would imagine if obviously you know things went another way the Briscoes might be in that match. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right about them being a worldwide phenomenon. I think one of the most one of the most important images that for me of 2023 was the day after Jay passed away was the Noah New Japan show um, and Hiroshi Tanahashi and Namichi Marufuji stood in the ring with portraits of Jay Marufuji holding Jay, the picture of Jay from when he joined Noah at the age of 18 and won the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championships on their first night in the company. And the picture of Jay as Ring of Honor World's Heavyweight Champion um, that Tanahashi was holding and the roster of both companies coming to pay tribute to Jay because it just showed you how much respect he had in Japan and how, how well known he was worldwide this was a guy who was a international superstar you know the old Briscoe's promo, they weren't aesthetically pleasing enough for the WWE oh you were aesthetically pleasing for me boys, you always will be but let's move on 
Triple A Mega Championship to open a Ring of Honor show. El Hijo Del Vikingo versus Commander. 15 minutes and 43 seconds of some of the most breathtaking wrestling you will ever see. Chances were taken. <laughs> Things were done. Spots were made. A story was told. 8.67 from the cage match users for an opening match on a Ring of Honor show. will tell you how great this was. Both of these guys have been the talk of the wrestling press and the wrestling industry for the last few weeks because everyone complained about Vikingo and nobody knew who he was. Everybody knew who he was before he made the TV show in the AW because everyone told everybody he's really that good. And this was a match kind of to prove the point. You not only do you have to do it once against Kenny Omega, you've got to go against with Commander as well. And boy, did these guys get it right. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Because this was insane. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I don't usually get it get it out this early, but go watch this match. <laughs> 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 I don't usually get it out this early, but but this 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 kind of needs to show you to, to back up what James was saying, just how good this is. Uh, if you're still slobbing off of the, 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 the Kingo versus Omega match, which um, I 100% understand, um, then th- this is this is a great follow. Um, I don't think this went as long as that did, um, but this this is still great. Uh, the only thing that sucks to me when thinking about this is that because uh, some American fans are just you know like to keep them entirely towards the the the, the craft exclusive to certain things. Some people just won't be able to appreciate this match because they won't um, open it to be ingratiated to that lucha style and what that means and what that looks like. Um, but these two are brilliant. And, you know, when King goes like a living video game character and come in there, is, is right behind him and some of the stuff that they, you know, did and formed here. So, uh, yeah, like I said, go watch this match. Um, and, and if if it's not for you, it's not for you. But but that don't mean that it's poor in any means because this is some of the best stuff you'll see anywhere. And they almost just made everybody go home in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine the men in the six-man tag team title match were going, oh, God, what are we going to do now? Um, just the, the words inside out, corkscrew, four, four, um, uh, inside out, corkscrew, 460 uh, press will tell you how insane this match was. And that was one of the, the less Larry moves that we saw. Oh, just, just mental. You've got to go see it. I mean, it, it, it's a championship match that, that lived up to it. And then that set the tone for the rest of the card. And it was kind of, you can accuse Ring of Honor of being overly spot heavy down its career, but this was the only, this wasn't the only spot heavy match, but the rest of the card was about emotion and the roller coaster of emotion. And this was the one that kind of set the tone and was the other thing, which is what you needed. And I enjoyed that immensely. Okay, second match. Bishop Khan, Crowning Cage, and Teo Leona successfully defended the uh, Room of Honor six-man tag team championships, collectively known as the Embassy, managed by Prince Nana. They defeated AR Fox, Blake Christian, and Metallic, eight minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, a match that just kind of happened. It wasn't terrible. It was a, a nice kind of thrown-together team to go up against an organized unit, but it wasn't great either. What did you think of this one, Marcus? No, same. You know, Al Flossway, Kristen, and uh, Metalik. Uh, that that's that's a you know great three man, um, very skill sets and whatnot. Uh, but they look very different from the embassy. 
those boys' plates look a lot different than everybody else because they are jacked to the gills. And um, honestly, you got Prince down there in that corner. I'm not going to say it was a far-gone conclusion because it was a hell of a match. But I, I didn't see, coming into this, I didn't see the embassy um, dropping the titles, which is nice to see because we finally got some consistent with Cage, which is something I feel like uh, he's been he's been needing for a long time in the company. And I'm glad he's kind of found a level of consistency um, in terms of uh, match and and just being exposed on the on the show with the embassy. So that's that's good. But like you said, it was eight eight minutes. Um, and nothing nothing to necessarily write home about. No, no, it, 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 it just moves along. What was really good was your Ring of Honor Women's Champion Athena successfully defending against Yuki Sakazaki. Eleven minutes and thirty eight seconds. Sakazaki, fresh off her loss of the Princess of Princess Championship in TJPW, which me and um, Chelsea looked at a couple of weeks ago. If you want to go back and listen to that on the Trooper show to find out what we thought about that match. This is, she delivers again. This is another high-profile main event, well, main event level. It wasn't a main event match, but, you know, she's just amazing. And Athena as well. I've obviously not seen as much of her because she was a WWE product, really, and I didn't see it until she got out of WWE. But I've been so impressed with her and her wrestling ability and she, how she's carrying that championship. Of the three titles in the AEW Ring of Honor universe, if you will, it is probably the least regarded currently, but she has done the most with it, if that makes sense, because she's having to make it with some opponents that aren't necessarily as well known. Uh, Sakazaki, I've seen more Sakazaki matches than I have Athena matches, <laughs> which will tell you where I'm coming from as a fan. But I just love these two together because it was, you know, Sakazaki never backs down, even though she's small, even though she's the underdog, she doesn't care. And Athena is an unstoppable force right now. And that's a really great way to watch pro wrestling and how to set up a story. And Sakazaki hammered home for as long as she possibly could before Athena could do the damage. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? No, 100% agree with everything you said. This was... uh... Part of my introduction to Saga uh, Yuka, and um, she's like you said, brilliant as well. Um, I've been following Athena um, since you know the start of her um, WWE journey. Follow all through that, and she's obviously she did her thing because she's one of the best to me. Um, and follow her ups and downs through that, and then she did what she could there. Um, she had some really great moments, but coming off of that, I think she's really been inspired here particularly going heel um this is just i mean it looks like she's having the time of her life right now she's getting to do all this stuff and and not be held back in any sort of way and it really feels like she's kind of she's you know having a lot of input on where her you know she's going on screen and what she's doing um and just that aggression like i said i previously mentioned about diana adding aggression with her technicality and the same can be said about Athena. She really just knows how to just give off that energy and everything that she does, or screams, or, or looks, or posture, everything. So um, she's just, like you said, really inspired. Feels like she's inspired right now. And it's showing and everything that she's doing on screen. She's a phenomenal champion. And like you said, in the AEW verse, while I do like uh, Jamie Hayter, um, I, th- I think she she's I think she's really good in doing you know making the best of uh, her reign. Um, 
of her, Jade and Athena, like you said, I think Athena is pulling pulling out ahead of everybody, you know, despite whatever perception may be. If you look at a match like this and it's just, you know, eleven minutes and forty seconds, it almost felt longer in certain in certain mm-hmm. ways because of what Athena was doing. Um and obviously you as well, but that but that's that's the mark of, of two people that know what they're doing and knowing how to execute and and Athena has been brilliant. So Certainly. Right then, let us move on to some serious business. It seems to me like I've been watching Samoa Joe. Well, I've been trying to watch, I've been watching Mark Briscoe try and beat Samoa Joe for the last 20 years. It turns out I'm actually right. <laughs> <laughs> so when um, these two are going to bang heads again, and obviously this is about Jay as much as it is about anything else, but it was really the perfect mountain for Mark to climb and not be able to climb because he's going to climb it one day. And he's going to win that TV championship because that's the belt he's chased in his entire singles career. Whenever him and Jay had um, a break from being a tag team wrestler, specifically when Jay was world champion, Mark would go after the TV championship. And it's a belt he's not held and he wants it badly. And this was the perfect way to tell the story because he's going to get there. He showed you all the faith that he can get there. And it was just that it's Joe and no one beats Joe. Joe's had that belt for a year now. He's coming up on having it for a year. And Joe's always going to kill you. That's the story. It's been the story of Ring of Honor pretty much since day one, as Jay would have said. And that was the story they told here. Mark was prepared. He knew what he had to do, but he just didn't quite have enough gas in the tank to be the big man. And they can do that story again and again and again. And I really enjoyed this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. This was just outstanding professional wrestling, incredibly emotional. This is the way it's done. This is how you get an audience hooked, and this is how you tell a story. This was just outstanding. I can't say enough about this match. I know it wasn't as technically crisp as some of the matches on this card. I don't care, because I care about Mark Briscoe, and I care about Samoa Joe, and I care about the World TV title. And that's all you need. Make people care. You can have three move matches as long as you make people care. But this had everything you needed. Marcus, your thoughts? All right, boy. I'm gonna try to follow that emphasis on try. Um, yeah, I feel like this is one of those things where, like, if this was like a film and like the like uh like the third in a trilogy. Like this is this is the match for people who have been there since the first one. You know, this ain't the one you just drop in on and be like, oh, like new. You know, even if you're not familiar with the franchise or the characters or whatever, you can you can absolutely watch it. Like, no, these are for the people. This match is for the people who have been invested, like you said, for for 20 years, been watching Joe, um, in Ring of Honor, Mark and Ring of Honor, their journeys all over the place, ups and downs and whatnot. Um, championships, defeats, you name it. Um, Joe was another one, just like Athena, coming off of his excursion um, and, and really getting this lot in his TV spot. And it really is just, you know, reestablishing himself as that absolute beast because it felt like for a while Joe had been tame. I mean, it's, Joe's never really fully tame because he always has that energy about himself. Um, <laughs> but he really feels like he's kicked into a different gear and, and coming to this match and and with all the history between the two of them and the emotion of everything coming off of, of Jay's passing um, and giving them almost, you know, almost 20 minutes. 
this is this is this is what it needed to be. This is what you you know you get when you know there's investment from all sides, and you know that this is this is a match that honors the legacy of Ring of Honor, that TV championship, and Jay's memory at the same time. So um, yeah, if you're a real Ring of Honor fan and been following Joe or Mark or, or both for years, this this is this is the match you watch. This is this was the match for you on this show. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, move on, because uh, we've still got lots to talk about. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Daniel Garcia, 11 minutes and 59 seconds. This was kind of a similar match with what they were trying to do with Matt Bailey and Impact, only that one was much better. <laughs> not the, there's no knock on Daniel Garcia, but it didn't help that Mike Bailey had knocked out Hiroshi Tanahashi's teeth in the process of that particular match, which is only the second time that's happened this year. Um, and it kind of like it, it struck me as Tanahashi going, All right, lads, I've done my big match. Let's not stress ourselves out here. It wasn't that he wasn't trying, because it was even Tanahashi not trying is still better than most people wrestling. It's just I think this more had more weight of expectation, but because Garcia is kind of in a character mode at the moment, being a sports entertainer, as he has to be, because that's kind of his deal, um, it kind of got in the way of this match being what perhaps fans were expecting. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think, you know, in the way you, you're right, because, I mean, there was a shift for a second there with him coming off of that match with, with Daniel Bryan. Um, because you you know you have to elevate fighting Brian. Brian is another person who is just in a different gear right now. Mm. Um, and you know he almost kind of had to leave that 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 um, sports entertainment mess behind because he had to step up to a different level in a match with Brian. And I think you know that's what we got with him. And then he obviously, like you said, kind of has to also play back into what he's going on with the uh, Jericho appreciation side and that whole thing. Um, in the sports entertainers uh, deal of it all. But um, even still, we talk about Brian's gear. Tanahashi is just a different gear, maybe even above that in complete totality. So I don't think, you know, it, it was cool to see him try, but this was a mountain the kid was just not going to be able to climb. Even on a night where Tanahashi might have been like, it's not that I'm not going to give 100%, but I just had a match, like you said. Uh, a hell of a match over here. I'm going I'm to show this kid, you know, the one, two, but, I, you know, he's not going to get my Okada, my Okada match, you know, apparently. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it Nothing wrong with it. it just, it, it, but then again, it was, you needed a breather because you'd just gone through hell, like mm. emotional. So I was in tears at the last match, you know, because it's like, I, of course I feel for Mark and of course I feel for Joe and Joe's been putting his heart in position, but he's not going to back it is just like an emotional roller coaster ride. You needed something that was just like, it's just a wrestling match. Don't worry, it's all fine. Especially as you had this coming up next. This was the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Reach for the Sky ladder match for the vacant Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. This was a match devised by Mark Briscoe to decide who will be the new tag team to keep the division going forward. It was won by the Lucha Brothers, Penta, El Zero, Miredo, and Ray Phoenix, along with Alex Alvarantes. They defeated Top Flight, Ante Martin and Darius Martin, The Kingdom, Matt Tavian and Mike Bennett, along with Maria Canellis, Bellet, Ozzy Open, Carl Fletcher and Mark Davis, and La Faccion Ignorable, Drolistico and Rush with Jose, the assistant. 20 minutes and 14 seconds of every ludicrous spot you could possibly imagine with a ladder. 
Um, unfortunately, Dante Martin was seriously hurt, so I will give you that warning before you watch this match, because he was seriously and very physically hurt, and we'll say no more about that. Uh, in hospital recovering now, hope he's okay. It was ludicrous. It involved the Lucha Bros, so you knew it was going to be ludicrous, but everybody else was being ludicrous too. I can imagine Jay enjoying this thoroughly. <laughs> so it did that job, and the fans were into this, and the Lucha Bros, I think, are the right winners, because they're the ones that are going to be able to have those kind of matches that the Briscoes used to have, um, and help carry a division. Um, and they've got plenty of opportunities against really top-flight tag teams. The obvious big feud for them to have is the Kingdom, the former tag team champions, who they can build some legacy with. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, once again, everything you said, I mean, I got, this is I could, I could do some. This is another match that you just got to go see. We can't explain this. Uh, <laughs> no, this is not a match you explain. It really is really not. If you take break down however many ladders you need to and take the pieces of them to spell out the word ridiculous. That's it. <laughs> but, broken ladder pieces and spell out the word ridiculous, but ridiculous in the best way. And it's also not lost on me that um, like obviously the, the title of this match is obviously a great honor for the Briscoes in general, but uh, obviously for Jay. But I'm like, all the years the Briscoes have been doing match, uh, matches like this, that they they actually never coined a match or reach for the Sky Ladder match is uh that's crazy to me. But um but it but it was brilliant for this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and coming off of that match with Joe, like the emotion of like, uh, they said it on commentary. Shout out to I think it was Ian Riccoboni mm. on commentary. Mm. Was it um why am I forgetting his name? I love the guy. Um, his, his partner on commentary. Why am I forgetting his name? Not, not Caprice, Chris, Caprice, Caprice Coleman, and Nigel McGuinness were there. Yeah, Caprice. Thank, thank you, thank you, love Caprice. Uh, brilliant. Um, but yeah, he said it like that was the last time we were gonna see him come out with one of those tag titles. Um, which was another layer um added to the thing. So, and and I'll, I don't know if we said this, but obviously we're getting to the end of the night. Um, they, I think they kind of dished out. Um, more polished versions of the old Ring of Honor titles mm. or the classic Ring of Honor titles and they did the same with the tag but uh, yeah man this was <laughs> absolute insanity uh, in the right way um, God bless Dante Martin like you said he's in recovery um, I, I almost got to be thankful that he was the only one like that seriously injured because like I said this was insane um, and I've seen enough stuff with the with the Lucha Brothers and in, in instances as well you know, Phoenix them been in some real serious scenarios. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just grateful that that things weren't more serious and that it turned out the way that it did. Like you said, I think they went with the right team. I, I love the Lucha Brothers; they're great separately, uh, but together they're an entirely different beast. And uh, yeah, those are the guys that you make, you know, the top of the mountain to have us to climb up to. And I think, like you said, they can have some classics with the Kingdom. And we just got through talking about Ozzy Open, brilliant. And uh, top flight is nothing to sneeze at either. So uh, the tag team is cooking right now. Uh, but uh, they they can hold off on having another match like this for a while. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Great glass in cases of emergency matches, these ones. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we get to the semi-main event, which was the Ring of Honor Pure Championship. It was interesting that Nigel McGuinness was on commentary for this as the 
longest reigning, as he never forgets to mention, longest reigning pure heavyweight champion. Um, McGuinness, Coleman, and Ridkabani was kind of cool because McGuinness is kind of a heel commentator, so it's nice to have him back on commentary. It gives a it gives a nice balance to the other two who are annoyingly positive, as I believe uh, Ben Spindler called both of us <laughs> at one point. <laughs> so no wonder we like him. <laughs> uh, but yes, this is the semi minor semi main event was for the Pure Heavyweight Championship with your your judges at ringside, Pat Book, Medicine Rain. I don't believe maybe the first female judge of a um, Ring of Honor Championship match, and Christopher Daniels, former Ring of Honor champion. Your wrestlers were Wheelie Yuta, accompanied originally by John Moxley, and then Katsuyori Shibata, the wrestler. And talk about emotions and listening to that music as you come down the ringside, and you think like six years ago that guy nearly died. And now he is back in a wrestling ring, in a division where he can really shine because he can let go without taking too many risks with his health. And yeah... This was just outstanding. I don't think it was quite what everybody wanted it to be because it's Shibata and you expect a bit more, but it's a Shibata. It's a guy who's like, like I said, nearly died. <laughs> Give him a break. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was wrestling with Wheeler Utah, and this was just great to watch. Utah and the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club are currently in the process of turning heel, and they were very unpopular with the Ring of Honor crowd in a really good way. But this match was great. It, it basically based around the fact that Yuta had no answers for Shibata. And Shibata had everything in hand. And that was a great story to tell. And I really enjoyed it. And it just makes Yuta look even better. Because he could he he went for a very long time with the living legend, but Shibata wearing championship gold, which we never thought we'd see again, in a very believable wrestling match that you know just did everything you needed to do. Figure four leg lock with a heel hook. There you go. <laughs> Let's have some viciousness going on. What do you think of this one, Marcus? Figure four with a leg hook. We call that owl. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's you know, uh, I've become a real, uh, real fan of Will of Willie Yuta, uh, watching him come from Ring of Honor and Dome. You know, I was a John in the Black uh, Pool Con Black Club. I think he's been really good. Um, he's somebody always fun to watch and uh, turning up that aggression level with everything that's going on with the black uh, pool club is I think is only aided in elevating his star power. And this um, took that to the next level. I have been really hesitant admittedly to watch Shibata coming back wrestling because I was there six years ago. Mm-hmm. Not there, but you know, um, with what happened and, and, you know, we almost lost him and uh, because of the style that he wrestled and obviously associated with that, that I think that was for the open weight he was fighting for, right? No, that was against that was against Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Ah. It, was, it was me, you, and Alex that reviewed it, if I remember correctly. And it was funny enough exactly six years ago because he won the New Japan Cup. And of course, yesterday, Secure Genesis... Um, Sonata challenged Takada for the New Japan Cup, so it would have been literally six years ago, yeah, to, to the week, or yeah. just the week oh. before that he goes from essentially being hospitalized for months on end to being a champion again, and that's that's insane. That's that, yeah, it, it is insane. And shout out to us for still being here. Um, 
But yeah, I I just been hesitant because I, I remember that and it was it was gruesome to see when it happened and, and and you know your heart was wrenching for him hearing about everything he went through, and, and the fight back because I just haven't wanted to see him in any dangerous situations and I know the style that he wrestles and I know the level that he likes to compete at, um so when it came to this match, um I I just kind of just sat down like look, I, you got you got to you know obviously you, you want to watch it and. You haven't seen him for a while, and if you're going to, you know, watch him, it's a good scenario to do it in. And I think, like you said, this lends itself to him being able to still be who he is without, you know, taking it to that next unnecessary level of danger. Um, and he put on, like I said, if it was good as you is, he put on a clinic against this kid. Um, it's it's like when you, you know, feel like when you're playing a video game and you think you beat the boss and you've been on edit for hours and then you find out that's not really the boss. <laughs> with your hands are exhausted and you're like I'm out of extra lives I don't this ain't fair like who did this to me like it felt like that's that what was happening like it was just you know Shibata was on like a super level um and it was cool to see um and yeah I mean it's just gonna be great to see Shibata back in this position uh obviously no headbutts please ever mm-hmm. um no more of that but uh yeah, I think this pure stuff just really lends it to, to keeping him at, at a at a different gear. And I think Yuta's gonna be nipping at the heels for a while because this was this was a this was a knock upside the head. You know, he he kind of realized he still got some ways to go. But I think, like you said, that's only gonna make him better. Um, but yeah, the the see Shibata back back in, in in good form and back with a championship, the pure championship. It's uh it's it's only gonna make Ring of Honor better. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this and how Shibata's running. Because it's like, it's one thing wrestling Orange Cassidy for the um, international, it's the international championship now. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, what it is the, uh, not the intercontinental, is it the continental? Not the continental, the. Uh... Whatever the Atlantic championship was is now. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> Yeah, because Orange Cassidy could have a good wrestling match with a lamppost. So you just wrestle around the lamppost and make the lamppost look like a million dollars. Whereas actually having a competitive wrestling match with Wheeler Uta is a bit of a different thing. And to be able to do it as well as he did, just outstanding work. Just absolutely outstanding work. So let us move on to the main event of Supercard of Honor, the Ring of Honor World Championship. Let me introduce you to the Gospel of Eddie Kingston. It's two lines. It says in the Gospel of Eddie Kingston, don't trust Brian Danielson. And the second line is, don't trust Claudio Castagnoli. That's the Gospel of Eddie Kingston. The Mad King himself challenged for the Ring of Honor World Championship. And this is a story, talk about long-term storytelling. This is my WrestleMania. This is the match I wanted to see all weekend. Because Eddie hates Claudio. He's always hated Claudio. He's never trusted Claudio. And when Claudio turned up, he said, I don't trust him. And Eddie is always right. And this goes back to Shikara and CZW and all sorts of stuff of wrestling history that I was there for, not physically there for, but as we just said, I enjoyed several years ago. So when I heard Claudio versus Eddie for the Ring of Honor World Championship, I knew it was going to be something special and it couldn't possibly have been better. Of course, Eddie doesn't win because he never wins the first time. (laughs) 
But Eddie's on a roll, and for the first time, he's winning as he's on a roll. He beat Jay White and got rid of him out of, uh, in, of New Japan Pro Wrestling, only for him to turn up in AEW. So there's a ready-made feud right there. <laughs> and Claudio is just an exceptional professional wrestler. You just can't trust him. And so this, for me, was just heaven. This was a match I wanted to see for so long, because... Um, because of the way things work, Eddie versus Claudio never paid off really in Shikara because Claudio signed with the WWE and disappeared off into the ether. But the old BDK versus Eddie Kingston storyline, that was something special. And this is something special too. I thoroughly enjoy this match. I know I've said that an awful lot about the matches we've talked about today, but by God, this was so good. And the story was that Eddie Claudio didn't think Eddie could do it, but he knew that he would scare him to death and he scared Claudio to death. And it, the fact that Claudio won with a flash pinfall, he didn't win with a clean finishing maneuver, opens it up for one more time. And that's going to be amazing. Marcus, what did you think of this? Yeah, look, out of, out of the last, what, six matches we talked about, Five must be seen. They got you got to watch them. You, you got to watch these last five because they really just, you know, obviously we we talked about watch the first one and definitely watch you know uh, the women's Joan and Mark uh, the the latter match. You almost you might want to watch that latter match separate. Uh, and these last two have been uh, just just nuts for for you know different reasons, but this. Like Eddie Kingston is is one of those people that's like, people always talk about like the curtains have been pulled so far back, you know the whole kayfabe thing is dead. Like, and then he shows up to your house. <laughs> like, like I like you're not a delivery guy, but like no, but I but you ordered this sandwich, like no, this knuckle sandwich. <laughs> like that's 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 Eddie Kingston. Like Eddie is, um, they say no man is an island. Um, but but he is a lot of times, and it's sometimes to his detriment. But it's also brilliant to watch um, because he's also one of those few people that even if you know something uh, is made up, he's gonna make he's, he's gonna make you believe that it's real. Um, and then you find out later it is real because he really doesn't like the individual. Uh, when he we calls him out and curses him out on the mic, he's not doing it for effect. That's really how he feels. Um, so when I heard that he didn't like Brian and he didn't like Claudio, and then you see all the stuff that he's had in terms of interactions with Punk and what may have happened behind the scenes with uh, what Guevara or uh, some other people. It's like he may be one of the last, uh, what, what's the saying, the last of the Mohicans in terms of reality in wrestling? Because he's just, he's just too real. What you get is what you get with him. Um, and that, that that's all it is. When you put him in a match, against somebody like Claudio who does not do soft in any way. And Kingston does not do soft in any way. Um, we always talk about the cage match users and that cage rating. Uh, when James True Penny says, this was my WrestleMania, kind of tell y'all you got to need to know. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, this was brilliant. And uh, I think it's far from over because really... <laughs> It's Eddie Kingston. It's never over till he says it's over. So that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, th th this was great. Um, and uh, Claudio has been another, you know, another great one for that, for that Ring of Honor championship. And I think the Blackpool Combat Club is just getting started. I think 
it probably was the right move to go turning them heel with everything that happened with Regal because you can't just have those guys just floating around trying to be the nice guys when their whole style is to almost concuss you. Not on purpose, but you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. This is how you close out this show. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing where all this stuff goes because, like I said, this kind of feels separate from the main AEW stuff, which is good because I almost think Ring of Honor was kind of getting lost in the shuffle. And I think this show was really a stamp and saying, like, no, you can watch that, but you need to watch this too. Oh, yeah, this this show did bring on a world of good. It establishes new champions, it establishes new storylines, and it gives a narrative to the championship. It, it's Eddie versus Claudio. And, you know, it's that cool combat club versus Eddie and whoever he can get. And the minute he's got Katsuyo Shibata, which is pretty good backup, if you ask me. But yeah, and the show closes with Eddie looking directly into the camera saying, hey, fucking going anywhere. And that's what you need to hear from your top babyface. And Eddie is that guy. He's always been capable of being that guy. He should have been that guy a long time ago, but people couldn't get past. He looks like Eddie Kingston. And it's like, I don't care. And it's interesting what you said, because his he his tagline in Shikara was the last of a dying breed, the Mad King, Eddie Kingston. And he still is. He ain't dead yet. And he's got some stuff to do. And he's going to do it with Claudio Castagnoli and JY. And I'm going to be there for every step of the way. If you want me to be a fan of something, give Eddie Kingston free will to do whatever he wants. And I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I just want, anytime he grabs the mic in a situation like that towards the end of the show when they're clearly trying to go off air, I just want them to pan <laughs> to the back to see to see Khan with the headphones going like, oh, God, cut it, cut it, cut his mic. <laughs> oh, man, it was something special. Well, we're going to have to wrap the Troopany show for that today as well. We leave Impact Wrestling in a better place than it was and Ring of Honor on a new course. And another big gay brunch that was absolutely awesome and tons of fun to watch. So I would like to thank my guests for the today. Anna, you can find her at beer underscore underscore uncle on Twitter. And of course, Chelsea, panels and pros on Twitter. Where can we find you on the internet, Marcus? Yeah, uh, shout out to Chelsea. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ParadoxKid. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Always down to check. You can find me at Showfinestar on Twitter, at ShowFinestarTX on Instagram. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter and Instagram and the Troopany Show on Facebook and Patreon. We also have a Discord called the Troopany Show. Oh, you can find me on Mastodon at Showfinestar dot at socials mastodon i think i can't remember just such a time start you'll find me um yeah catch us up on there try and keep the tribute show free forever for everyone next week i think me and you'll be looking at some glate won't we if you've got some time sir yeah yeah no but you know you know us we the kings of the double features when it comes to glee so be on the lookout for that definitely we might have a look at secure genesis as well i might do that by myself if someone can give me a hand with that that would be cool next week we'll be back we hope you enjoy some wrestling because there was loads last week to pick from. There was just far too much wrestling to cover, which is the only reason why we did three shows. We could have been here all day. And to be honest with you, I've been watching wrestling all day and catching up. It's been amazing. So take care. Speak to you soon. Bye.